Hey everybody, welcome to another Shot by Shot. This is Sean. This is Kevin. And we have a magnificent episode for you today. We have two and a half to three hours of none other than the co-creator of The Boys, Mr. Derek Robertson. Kevin, this is an absolute legend, right? You know, I didn't know Derek, and it's really cool when you pop onto one of these and they're the nicest person you could ever want to hang out with for a couple of hours, which I think is why this podcast went so long. Uh, I know it's been a minute since we did, uh, since we dropped one, but uh, you'll see why. We were recording this one for, I think, the last couple of months. Yeah, we've, we've eradicated having multiple parts. and We're just like, we're going to give you an eight-course meal of comic-based artist audio. We don't have a guest today. We have two co-hosts, and I don't say a word. Like, for me to jump into this would be like introducing a tuba to a techno song. Brian and Derek are just on fire. I, I I think if we needed another voice in Shot by Shot or just a monologue, Derek Robertson is so articulate about explaining our process and his history. It's a really good listen. Yeah, this this is a five course meal and then we follow it up at the bar afterwards. Like this, <laughs> this is a good one. And Derek is absolutely welcome to come and co-host anytime he wants because he could totally handle it. Yeah, I don't want to explain Derek's backstory or his au revoir, but I mean, he's the co-creator of The Boys, which has a show on Amazon. He is the co-creator of Space Bastards at Humanoids currently, which is a down and dirty look at mercenaries delivering packages throughout the cosmos. I mean, and even back when we were talking to Greg Rucco, I was discussing his run on Wolverine, which at the time you had this felt supermodel extrapolation of this character. And Rucka and Derek just brought him back to assaulting this underground cult. And they transformed him from being this like Calvin Klein face to this like goblin. And I was just, I love how Derek turns returns everything to earth. He gives it this gravity and this sensorial sort of uh, relatability. Everything about it feels like you can touch it or smell it. It might not be a great smell, but it's very real. That's a really good way to describe it. And, you know, his career is, uh, when you look back at the titles he's worked on, some amazing runs on just uh, all kinds of different books. And you mentioned the boys, obviously, that he's going to be best known for forever now because it is truly one of the best adaptations of uh, a comic book uh, ever made. It's just so, so incredible. Oh, it's so um, good. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And Derek, super nice guy. Uh, just had an absolute blast uh, listening to him and Brian talk. Yeah. So I won't try to uh, choreograph what you're about to listen to. Listen to it while you're drawing. Listen to it while you're working. This is comic legend gold. So without further ado, Derek Robertson. I haven't seen you since San Diego Comic-Con, probably in the 90s. Ooh, wow. <laughs> San, Di- San Diego Comic-Con is, is like, um, it's like heroin. I always try to quit it, but it, <laughs> but it, keeps, it keeps dragging me back in. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I, that's the way it feels yeah. now. Like at this point, it's like, if I don't have business there, I don't go. Like if I have oh, yeah. to go, I'll yeah, go, but yeah. I don't go for fun anymore. Oh, dude, after every bender of, of Comic-Con, I always say, I will never do this fucking show again. Feel the same And way. then for some reason, some company, like, gets me to come. And I'm like, God damn it. Exactly. And I just, always, I, I just. Pull I, me I, back in. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like yeah. even, even like, I think, I think as a comic book creator, once you've passed the 20s, San Diego really is, 
it, it offers nothing for you. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's just, I will remember when it used to be about comic book creators. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I, miss I really those have days. to stretch. I mean, yeah, I have to like, stretch. It used to, to be the celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> now we're just there to justify the name. I think it's the most, sad. right? I think the most, uh, the, the peak irony hit me when I was stuck in a uh, one of the aisles trying to get from one end of the hall to the other, and I couldn't move because there was such a massive line to see the cast of The Big Bang Theory. So it was comic book fans in line to meet people who play comic book fans. Oh, that is that is some deep, deep meta going on right there. Right? Oh man, snake eating its tail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's some that's some like deep Oberos stuff happening, man. I wish I planned ahead a little better. I have a mug with your DC women on it still that I bought at the Warner Brothers store when there were Warner Brothers stores. And oh, now I feel like yeah. I should be drinking out of that while we're talking. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't even have one of those anymore. Oh, it's a great mug. I, I broke my heroes one, which is which made me very sad. But the female one has survived. I think I have a Wonder Woman too that you did. Yeah, yeah, Superman. yeah. That um, su uh, surprisingly, it doesn't matter what comic book I've done. It doesn't matter what great thing I've achieved in comics. My mom doesn't give a shit about my, my career except right. for two things. And those things are the DC mugs and the DC plate that I did. <laughs> it legitimizes it for the parents. I understand. When I was breaking in, like I got my first big Marvel assignment and it was Wolverine. And I couldn't have been more thrilled because I thought I was going to have to get another book and work my way up to Wolverine. For whatever reason, Bob Harris liked my stuff and gave me an issue of Wolverine to start out my Marvel career. So I shown this to my mom. I'm like, I got to draw Wolverine. And she just like mm, flatline, like nothing. <laughs> but then I like filled in and did uh, like loose pencils on an issue of action comics that, um, at the time they had a Dennis Rodier, I think his last name was, and he was doing finishes over everybody. So he'd really put a heavy uh, stamp on the style. I was more just breaking it down. And, uh, but when that came out and I, I showed that to her, like, then she got it. She was like, you did an oh. action comics. And I'm like, that was like the crap job at that point. Like, oh, I was kind of like a, just a quick fill in mom. Like, like Wolverine or anything. But she's grooving on your slum. She was very old. <laughs> she had me late in life. She was a senior citizen by the time I uh, oh, got man. my Marvel career going. So yeah, related yeah. to well, Superman, but. I understood that uh, that my career path is uh, is not to impress my mom. Right. <laughs> you know, Good thing just, too, right? Yeah, I, like, <laughs> I knew I lost that you know, sort of admiration pretty early on. I lost that <laughs> when I went into comics. She wanted me to oh, animate yeah. for Disney, and not what if I if I become a Disney animator and been poor and you know poorer <laughs> poorer. Uh, <laughs> It would probably have made her a lot happier. <laughs> yeah, it would have taken you a while to get over the alcoholism, but you know, other than that, <laughs> COVID's not helping with my alcoholism at all. So. <laughs> yes. Speaking of which, uh, what uh, what are you drinking uh, tonight? Uh, tonight or now? <laughs> at the moment, good old water. You got to keep hydrated in these troubling H2O. times. Yeah, something's got to do it because I, I got to combat this shit somehow. Yeah. So, uh, so Kev, what do you what do you happen to drink tonight? Uh, 
tonight I've, I've got a uh, something new to me. Uh, whistle pig. Oh, whistle pig! I love that. Whistle pig. I got a <laughs> I got a bottle of that for my birthday this last year, and it's delicious. I've I've been trying to find one for a couple of years, and finally ran across one uh, a couple of weeks back. So, yes. So breaking open the whistle pig ten year. Ah, that's good. I would be drinking alcohol with you, except it's not six o'clock where I am. It is the middle of the afternoon and my work day. So, ah. <laughs> I am. That's why I'm being. Uh, judicious with uh h2o but later uh, good move uh, well i'm well i'm backing i'm i'm backing up on the uh on the on the dry liquids what i what i try to do is think of the the guests and have something that somehow relates to the guests so what i'm having is earl gray with a little bit of peppermint oh and and the reason why i'm doing that is because for the longest time just assumed that you were english <laughs> <laughs> was, well, crikey, you're wrong. That's not even English. Just, that's like Australian. Yeah. It was just, it was just it's in my head you, that yeah. that you were that you were an English guy, and uh, yeah. and you know, I just kind of, I kind of ran with it, and it wasn't until much later that I was just like, no, no, he's actually cartoonishly oh, I, American. Yeah, cartoonishly, yes, that's a good yeah, so, I am not, so, um, I'm not at all. I'm not so, all. I'm so, not at all cool enough to be English. Mm, so, I, I come so from Earl Scottish heritage, I found out, but, uh, mm, you know, I don't, yeah. I've never lived so, there. Yeah, so we got a little bit of Earl Grey for the English and a little bit of uh, peppermint for the American, okay. you know, sort of side of things. <laughs> yeah, I know. If you were, if you were going to drink an otter of me, it probably should be red wine because I live in, I live in the Napa Valley, so. Oh, nice, nice. Very cool, man. Yeah, that's oh. all right. <laughs> yeah. Other than the wildfires. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Other than the, yeah. they're becoming an annual thing now. Yeah. Oh, it's a good it's a good thing that the grapevines slow those down i'm literally i'm literally becoming that little dog in the casey green cartoon where like this is fine <laughs> <laughs> that is tough man but, uh, but actually um san jose the uh the big wow convention that That's was a good uh, con. that was that was out there uh i used to really enjoy going yeah, they're to still that doing show. it it changed names but the same guys are running it, steve wyatt and uh, and he's like teamed up with um, Steve Wozniak. Wozniak, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had because his name is Steve Wyatt. Nothing would allow any other information into my brain past the name Wyatt. <laughs> they're both Steves, and they both start yeah. with W. And like, I just had this log jam of thinking. <laughs> and Steve Wozniak has, uh, achieved a lot more than my friend Steve Wyatt has. So, uh, but yeah, but they still do those shows. Um, uh, well, you know, if if we ever get back to a place where people want to go out and be in public. Oh yeah, yeah, sadly. But uh, but it was it was just a, a really fantastic show, and it was yeah. a very artist based show. At, yeah, that's uh, what makes it really nice. They bring in celebrities also, but it doesn't seem to compete. It feels much more yeah. uh, cooperative. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the uh, the nice thing was uh, with it was such a great show to to talk shop because yeah. a lot of artists would attend the show. Yeah. And a lot of artists were were at the show, and uh, and the coolest thing was uh, was Travis Charis, Travis Charay, his uh, his. We would go to his, I guess, family sort of orchard, you know, or vineyard afterward, and just kind of like hang out. Uh, that and that was nice. A, I love <laughs> his work. I've never met him. I've he's somebody whose work I've always admired. I've always admired. Did you go back when it was under the big tent, like the big? 
like the big giant canvas room? No, 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 no. I, I, uh, I went there, like I was, I was looking for a really cool West Coast show that wasn't San Diego. Yeah. And, uh, and that was kind of my West Coast show for like about three years um, okay. when, uh, when Steve Morgert was, uh, was running it. Oh, okay. And, uh, and then when it changed hands, I kind of like fell, fell off the, uh, the guest uh, list. And that was my first experience with that 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 area out there. Oh wow! Um, well, you're yeah, that's pretty. That's about four hours south of where uh, Napa Valley is, but it's it's nice. It's Bay Area for sure. It's like closer to Silicon Valley. Um, did you uh, did you ever go to Anna, the WonderCon in Anaheim? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's yeah. that. Rem the last time I went a couple of years ago, and I was really delighted because that felt like the old San Diego to me. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that—that's that's a show that I that I really love. Um, yeah. And actually, uh, what's what's cool is uh, the the San Jose show. I always use that show as an excuse um, to go out to the uh, the Line Decker. Um, uh, well, it's it's the Haggins Museum, but it's like where a lot of Line Decker art, you know, a lot of Line Decker originals are just kind of hanging out. Um, so, so I always, you know, go into, um, like I, I try to fly into San Francisco and then drive out, um, to, um, to catch the, uh, to catch the, uh, the museum show and just kind of hang out there for a day looking at Lion Decker art, which never gets boring. Yeah. You're a man of taste. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a man of specific taste. Yeah. Well. <laughs> you know? I like toys. <laughs> yeah, but um, but like, g going back with you, the first, my my first introduction to your work, um, and I don't know if you remember her, um, Betsy Roll, who's now yeah. Betsy Gomez. Yeah. Um, she she wanted me to do a uh, a sketch of Spider Jerusalem back yeah. in the day. And I had no idea what she was talking about. I had it no idea. Must have been the nineties. Most <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, of the time so, I worked on that book, nobody had any idea what it was. And then yeah. like, now it's what I'm known for. It's weird. Oh, dude, it was it was just a complete mystery to me. And uh, and then she like gave me the uh, gave me the book, and I thought, okay, well, let me just look at this so I can actually figure out how the character looks and just do a drawing. Um, but and it was like. And and I, I gotta tell you, man, you you totally pissed me off because oh, I was supposed to be in my room drawing, and I opened the book up and went, "Well, this is kind of interesting." And I just started reading, and I'm like, "Fuck this guy!" <laughs> just like, <laughs> totally stole my night, oh. you know, looking uh looking at his stuff, and uh, and it was just just really something incredibly different. I mean, it, it just you. really kind of surprised me, and um and and I'm gonna make a reach here, but but your stuff to me always felt like like Brian Bolin and um, and maybe Richard Corbin had a baby. Ah. <laughs> ah, you just you just you just you just made my heart sing. They that is, <laughs> really not only is that like two of my favorite artists of all time, Brian being the number one, but I'm a huge fan of your work. So I've and I have been for years. 
hence why I bought the mugs. But, um, <laughs> you know, but I, I've loved your stuff. Like uh, when I first met you, I was too poor to get a commission from you. And I always regretted that because you weren't, I don't think you had even broken into Marvel or DC at the time. You were still kind oh, of, wow. uh, my friend David Williams knew your work and loved it. And he brought me over to your booth and I was like, <gasps> and, I, and, your, <laughs> and your commissions were, were surprisingly affordable, but not when you were a teenager uh, at San Diego. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I was barely affording the hotel room I had. Oh, but uh, but like, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird because like w one of the things that I you know try to do, I mean, you know, I, I quantify uh, things as much as possible. I don't I don't like knowing why, uh, not knowing why, and uh, yeah. and and your artwork did that for me. You know, it was just one of those things where I was just like, whoa, what is this? What what why is this so? um you know attractive and uh and like i said it did i immediately thought english because there, like a lot of yeah a lot of the um the english guys a lot of the two um you know sort of um 2080 guys yeah kind of have that brian boland kind of yeah feel to their work. well i mean i discovered his work very young and it was to me this the, the epitome of what i wanted to go for uh starting with finding <sighs> early judge dreads and then camelot 3000 and oh, that man. just transformed Dude. like the way i saw and then he was doing action comic covers and batman covers and so like it just really like his style just defined what i thought was was the best you could be as far as oh, and, yeah, and, yeah, and I easily. understood it. His line is like like mystical. I mean, like, if yeah. you so you know what I mean when I say like, oh yeah, Brian, Brian Boland stuff uh, when he did Camelot. Yeah, it's like if you were an artist or even aspired to be an artist. Camelot was like a meteor hitting the earth. Absolutely. <laughs> you, and that was you weird. Had, you were affected by it. That was Terry Austin inking his stuff too. So yeah. mm -hmm. like, it wasn't even pure bowling, but like I own a few of those originals because I was smart enough to snatch oh, them up back nice. in the day. Wow. And I have actually, and I traded uh, some of my early Marvel art back in the 90s for an original action comics cover when he was still working on paper. So I own one wow. of his covers and it Dude. hangs over my board. And I can't like, I study it still because it's like even all these years later, I like to think of my style as that I just tried to be Brian Ballin and I failed so badly that <laughs> what I have is like this. I think that's what I think that's what style is. is yeah, style, I think so too. Style right? is the amalgamation of your failures. <laughs> you amalgamation, precisely. But like yeah. and Richard Corbin, I used to have a Richard Corbin. I wanted to be a fantasy painter when I was before I wanted oh, to be a comic dude. book artist. And I had Richard Corbin's heavy metal poster from the movie on my wall. And I used to try this i used to study that too and like how it looks like magic to me when i can't oh yeah no well, I mean, how it's done the reason the reason why i even decided to learn the airbrush is because of richard corbin you know oh. I, I used to just his stuff used to just and it still you know sort of does just blow my mind and and there was like a hippie buddy of mine that said, oh, he uses the airbrush, man. And I'm like, well, I got to know. That's I what you were know doing this airbrush thing. When I first <laughs> yeah. met you, that's what all your pieces were. You were, you were airbrushing everything. Oh, yeah, everything. yeah, yeah. And so it was I'm gorgeous, so... though. You had, a, you had a rogue that I, you were just finishing up a Colossus. And I really, oh, yeah. Colossus was just beautiful. And you had, and again, with the airbrush, you put all those chrome, like highlights on him. And again, I look, just looked like magic to me. You, you would break out like the year later. And I was like, I could have got a commission if I, <laughs> I could have been there. I just choked up the money. But um, but I think, uh, I think something that's, um, that's sort of crazy about your stuff too. It's, it's kind of a conundrum for me is that um, 
that there tends to be like this division where some people are artists and then some people are storytellers. Uh, and and artists tend to just draw a lot. And storytellers tend to be pretty brief in their drawing, but it's really more about the emotion. It's really more about the settings. It's really more about moving the characters and the readers through a scene. But you manage both of them at the same time, oh, which is supposed to be impossible. <laughs> you know? I mean, you, you draw the hell out of stuff, but at the same time, you create that narrative you know you, do, you don't like uh like i think your books i when i first read your stuff i am a reader and i can't be an artist until the second time around when i look at it again <laughs> because i don't even i don't even see the art uh with the with the first read so it's uh so it's really kind of cool Man, thank you, Brian. That's like the best. You gave me two of the best compliments I've ever gotten. And, and again, coming from you, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Oh, oh, that's well, you're, that's you're, what I aspire to do most is like, I just feel like, and I, you should probably feel this way too, because, you know, you know, when it comes to sequential art, like our job is to tell the story. I think it's yeah. all well and good if you can, you know, if you can make it look good while you're doing it. Yay. But like Brian Bolland is a perfect example of a guy that, you know, you look at Killing Joke and the storytelling is what's so impeccable about it. But then the, uh, yeah. the art is as well. Like there's no sacrifice on either side. And he'll oh, yeah. all yeah. those backgrounds. I still can't get over those panels of the people eating the crawdads. Like, oh, my God. God. <laughs> oh, man. Like, that stuff, yeah. like just the, the little and because the, because the, then the crawdad became metaphorical for what was happening to Joker at the same time. So, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that, there's, there's a trend to do that. And then, but, yeah, uh, there's there's a panel where it's like they're pulling the legs. Yeah. Off, and then it cuts to the doctor holding Barbara's legs. And I was just like, oh, that hurts, man. It's just amazing. It's just so like, just, just emotionally devastating. And, yeah. uh, and, and I think, I think you're right. I mean, Brian Boland to me is like, that guy can do covers and his covers are bar none. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's like, that's, he takes covers as far as, as art should go. And it's a thing that stops you in your tracks. You, you're, you're glued to it. You have to look at it. You look at it uh, as a designer. You look at it as, uh, as an artist. And then you look at it as a technician. Yeah. But at the same time, when he does interior stuff, it is pure storytelling. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like it's never, you never see him sacrificing one for the other. And that, that's just magic to me as well. I had a... Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's funny you were saying like when you thought I was English. One of the nicest moments I had with uh, the late great Steve Dillon uh, was. Oh where, man! We were a bunch of us were at a wedding. Liam Sharp and uh, Steve Pugh and 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 Steve called me and and Dylan called me over and he handed me a Guinness. We were all celebrating and he handed me a Guinness and he said uh, and they all raised their glasses and they go, "We just want to know we've decided you're an honorary Brit." You draw, oh man you draw <laughs> like us and you can drink like us so you're, you're an honorary brit and i'm like well okay oh yeah i don't remember much after that but, yeah, speaking, <laughs> speaking of the highest honor bestowed yeah, on right? someone one thing that i think is um is cool is uh and and again i, I think 
I think our 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 influences can kind of get us up the mountain, but it's yeah. it's the thing that we leave our influences that enables us to take flight. And, I, I, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of like I found it. I mean, I I play music as a hobby. And I find oh, wow. the same as with music that there's a point where I'm like, I'm never going to sound like the artist that I admire, but I can still learn the song, you know, mm -hmm. and I can play it well enough that if I'm around a campfire or at a party or whatever, I'll get people to sing along. And for me, that's enough. And it feels yeah. like that it's that way with artwork. Like I'm never going to be as good as the guys that I love. Um, but I don't have to be, I only have to be the best I can be. Yeah. And, and the more I embrace that, and this hit me a while back, in my career but the more i embraced it the more i realized that my work started to get better like that's actually what's yeah. be free yeah and and the um the cool thing about it is is a uh, is I, I i can see your influences but you're achieving something uh emotionally that neither of those guys i think pulls off you know and and, and one of the things that i think is is awesome is is when i look at your stuff i mean clearly you're using non-vegetarian pure meat-based ink because <laughs> 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 like your work has like this really cool brutality um to it that uh i don't i don't think corbin or um Bo uh, bolin has your stuff is just really meaty you you have, you know, that that English talent of drawing ugly people beautifully. <laughs> I do draw ugly. Uh, I, I, I always, I actually always kind of hated it when I'd pick up a comic and everybody was beautiful. Like, I mean, everybody was beautiful. I don't even oh, like yeah, it on. Yeah. I don't even like it on TV shows. I we watch it. Uh, my my kids and I have been watching the old Twilight Zones, and it makes me laugh. Like all these pudgy middle middle aged people. Like I, yeah. I would never get a role now. Like Burgess Meredith would never be a star today, you know. Oh, like, yeah. but but you, but what a genius actor! Like you know, um, the guy that played uh, Fred on uh, I Love Lucy, like William. Oh Trump yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's, it's like weird that guy because, would never be a star today, you know. Well, yeah, Twi Twilight Zone. If you need reference for bald smoking guys. <laughs> Like, just bust out a copy of 12 angry men tonight <laughs> you're good to go because yeah everyone totally. was bald or with a hat yeah totally <laughs> and then suspenders yeah. big suspenders mm. wears but that yeah, was, and, and, but that's so crazy to me but i but in a comic it's like people should be all safe and sizes i wonder how far back you're reading my stuff because like i've been working to kind of grow out of that uh that heavy line weight and like that's been sort of like my goal in the last couple of years i just finished uh uh like 132 page uh, Hellblazer story with Tom Taylor. Oh, wow. Black label called Bla Hellblazer Bla Rise and Fall. And I found some new tools. Thanks to my friend, Rich Clark. He sent me some new pens for my birthday. And I was like, oh my God, these are amazing. So like my, I'm, I'm, my, my line works getting better. I'm not as rushed. Oh as man, you're, you're, um, you're, you're a pen guy? Yeah, I like pens. I used to use brushes, but they'd, they'd ruin my work too much. I use them uh, for the white app though. I learned um, um, Jerome K. Moore. Uh, who, oh my god yeah, yeah jk work. man he he's is, uh he's the dude man yeah he's yeah. a wonderful artist and uh but when i was reading his I, I got my originals back for transmit number one of course so i always sometimes look at those originals and look at what he was doing and so oh, wow. one of the things that i saw that was really beautiful is the way he would take uh you know white out matt 
paint and mm -hmm. and then like paint back into the black line and so i started doing that for highlights and things like that so i'll still use a brush for that or for hair yeah, but the pens are brush pens, so it's like they're it's it's just sort of like I don't have to go back to the well, which is actually oh, okay. Okay, gave, so gave are, are you heavy um, line early on in my yeah, are you using the uh, the Pentel stuff? Uh, the new one I got that I like so much is a Unipin. It's a fine line and it's water and fade proof, but it's a brush tip. Oh, looks nice. Like, yeah, looks like this, America. <laughs> oh yeah 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 i love that one man yeah, that's, that's really nice really... and then i got these jet pens too they're, they're, they're called uh, uh juice pens and then these are really nice for like doing rain or you know um, sweet highlights in the blood spatter things like that yeah yeah well it's 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 kind of it's kind of crazy because uh you know i started off like using the most expensive brushes, you know, yeah, made well, from the tips of the tails of Kalinsky's, you know, and it's just like these like, you know, 50, $70 brushes uh, to do artwork with. But then, you know, when you're using ink, it is going to destroy the brush. It's, it's not exactly, like, you that's, know, it does not matter how much you clean it. It's, no, it's going down. It's really true. <laughs> and that's what broke my heart is I had these Windsor Newtons that I really liked. Oh, and, the Series and, 7. And I'd be like, yeah. And I'd be right in the middle of a job and it would split. And as soon oh. as that split, it would never go back together. Yes, and I it's, was it's ridiculously done. cleaning them. And, and I was, you know, but I'm not a good I'm not really good at that either like I'm a little bit lazy in that I want to just kind of keep with what I'm doing so like you know using the pens that just until they get dry that seems to work for me and I got much more control because I hate being in the middle of a piece and then like having to like break concentration to clean a brush or or yeah, if I yeah. dip back in and I don't get the dip just right it drips and you know yeah I, uh, I started having an eye just that you just like ink so beautifully go under a blob <laughs> yeah. and you go fuck. <laughs> the um, the coolest thing was was talking to um talking to white uh, Walt Simonson okay uh, and and Walt is wait Walt clearly did he do it did he work in comics Walt Simonson <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know only a few things okay a couple things <laughs> but, but like Walt Walt clearly inks with a fist and. Uh, <laughs> And I talked with him about, uh, I was just like, well, what, what pen are you using? Because anytime I try to do heavy inks with a pen, sometimes the pen breaks. And he's yeah. just like, oh, I break a pen every page. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but his like, line okay. is so elegant, though. I wouldn't, I can't, I don't see his work that way. I like, he's like, he's almost like a balling in that, like, everything's so fluid and it, and it's, it's masterful in the way that it comes together, almost like a composition on its own, but he's just creating texture and shade. But it, it oh, actually, dude, yeah, the composition comes, you know, nothing, nobody's work looks like Walt Simonson's work except. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, um, in fact, I'm, I'm bothered by that because I really <laughs> tried to steal it from Walt. Oh, I can see that. I actually was going to say, really... I see that influence in your line work, but again you're, uh, like like you were saying to me it's like I, you you're you i i see your stuff and i know immediately that's brian stelfreeze oh yeah yeah well that, and, your name's again, not on that mug and i was telling her <laughs> hey it's a brian stelfreeze mug <laughs> well it's, it is you know and, and and again it's a situation where it's like uh in my failure to be walt simonson <laughs> i surrendered into being myself well, which... i think it was a good choice <laughs> yes. Hold on, hold on just a second. Kevin, can you keep it down? I'm trying to talk to yeah. Brian. <laughs> yeah. well, I don't know if you've listened to many episodes. But basically, this podcast was 
Sean and I got together and said, how do we get Brian to do his own podcast? And we realized the only way we could do it was to trick him into thinking that we were co-hosting it. I'm starting to catch on to that now. Yeah, well, the fact it's... that like Sean just like, like are, we allowed to, are, are we allowed to swear on this? I want to make sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the fact that like Sean just fucked off like right yeah. away <laughs> makes me realize how like completely not behind the wheel anybody is. Yeah. This is the first time our producers <laughs> left. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> So, but, um, so, it's actually good yeah. because it's net since he's not here i'm like well i'm not gonna drink as much this time because there, there's two or three episodes and i have to apologize to matt kent if he's listening because i just listened to uh part two of matt's episode and like i was like otis the town drunk um, <laughs> as, well, the context was i we had a, a storm blew through my power was out at my house and so I, I like grabbed a bottle of whiskey and ran to my office to hope the power was on to, to film that night. And I hadn't eaten anything since like 11 and it was like uh -huh. eight o'clock. Oh and, yeah. Uh, Good by the time we got into the, the second hour or the, like the second part of the episode about an hour in and uh, man, I was lit. I was just like talking yeah. randomly saying stuff that was not even uh, on target with what we were, our conversation. But anyway, uh, I'll be better tonight. I did, I did um, since you, you know, it's funny that, you know, Brian thought you were British and you, your career, <laughs> I, I remember you first because I owned a comic shop when I had just opened up around the time that the, the Malibu Ultraverse thing went. And so you were doing. Um, yeah, uh, I, I co-created a bunch of those characters. I designed a lot of them and co-created Nightman and Soul created a character called Ripfire that was supposed to get his own series. And it just like, this is typical of my entire career it just got going and then the party's over oh so i've managed to be the guy that like everybody's going skinny dipping and as soon as i get my clothes off the cops show up and <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like from from there you're like you hit that you know you became a beetle like you yeah, were I, I, well i don't I, I mean, and then uh, garth ennis yeah and, it, well i we uh, Warren Ellis introduced me to Garth. Uh, well, not really, actually. I met Garth at my very first uh, convention I ever did overseas. I went to Glasgow years ago, just about the time I was doing Justice League Europe, I think, or wow. Wolverine, like, like early, early in my career. I got invited to this Glasgow convention and I met everybody over there, Sean Phillips and Garth Ennis and Jamie Hewlett and all these wonderful people. And the way the convention in Glasgow worked out um like there wasn't really a whole convention it was more like an excuse to get all these creators to get together in a pub and drink and oh yeah there's oh, a convention yeah. happening so you yeah, that, that seems to be the technique bit. for glasgow <laughs> yeah you you so you'd sit at your table for a little bit and then you'd go and drink you know and so i had a wonderful time but i met garth then and all these other people but um oh, sweet man yeah but working with all the but when i went and visited him after we had done transmit for a while we went out with steve dylan and garth ennis uh in in when garth was living in england and we had a great time and uh got to know each other and that's about a little little while after that i think garth and i started doing marvel stuff together and that's what led to the boys so but i knew those guys and then we we'd hang out at conventions and stuff and um you know that that's kind of why i got the reputation for being an honorary brit yeah yeah well um well let me let me ask you something and i um, think the 2000 ad 
influence on my stuff is really obvious. So that's probably why they were like, oh, yeah. I like that work. <laughs> I'm wondering what was this guy to draw my comic? It looks like you can put an idea. I want Derek to draw like I, can, I can get a British guy working in America. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but um, but but you've you've worked with um with just uh, a large number of different uh, writers and, yeah. and not only different writers but writers from different genre um, from different medium different mm -hmm. um, genres uh, and different continents. Um, yeah. What? How does that affect your work? You think? Well, in in the last few years, like after the success of the boys, um, and I started wanting to steer my my work more towards independent and create our own stuff that I mm -hmm. could continue to put out original properties because ultimately, you know, it's fun to have complete control over a world you're imagining. I'm doing a, uh, I just, um, a book that I did, uh, I finished it at, back in 2019, but it's called Space Bastards. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, I, just, I just actually almost yeah, through that. It's being released by Humanoids right now. And, uh, but that was a world where I could create everything and design everything. But the guys were, they, they had written a screenplay and wanted to make it into a comic. And so Oliver, uh, which I did with Image, uh, for Image Comics with Gary Witta, it's, it's a work in progress. I have to get back to finishing the story. But we got four issues out in a trade paperback right now. But it's also me adapting his screenplay into comic format. And a lot of guys oh, wow. that come from film, they don't know what the comic format actually is. They, they sort of, breathe, they, they always overwrite uh, for what will, yeah, yeah. because with film, it's like you have unlimited room to have dialogue. You don't, when you're making a movie, you don't think about how much room that speech is going to take up <laughs> yeah, in a panel. Like but that, the guy, so being soliloquy is going to kill my art. Yeah, know? I'm like, well, this could be a splash page with the little character down in the corner if you want all of this on one page. But so I have, it's, it's a little bit of me uh, massaging the material and explaining like, well, I can move this here or what can happen in a comic that doesn't work so well on film is you can have four or five things happening in one panel where... No. Because you could take your time to read and, and it'll play out in one panel where in a film you'd have to cut and, you know, take up three minutes of screen time. So it's sort of like the opposite problem when it comes to action where you can make it work in one panel. Like you can have a guy punching in the foreground and a guy screaming into a phone in the background and yeah, yeah. taking a big drink of whiskey all in one panel. But sometimes you'll read that in, a, in these screens and they'll, they'll have those as separate panels. I'm like, it doesn't need to be separate panels because this guy on the phone and this guy drinking the whiskey aren't that important that they need to be focused on. They can be background actions. So yeah. I'll yeah. bring it all together that way. And then whatever the important point of that moment is, I can bring through like the, maybe the punch in the jaw is the most important thing. So that'll be the forefront action. Okay. And, so, you know, so that's how I get there and massage it and make my own ravioli. So it's, it's safe it. to say that you often work uh, off script, but still on dialogue. Yeah, I mean, I, I will often take, if I see something, how it could unfold on a page, I'll sketch it out and, and hand it over to the writer. When I was working on Happy with Grant Morrison, for example, the way he had play, laid out the first few pages is he wanted uh, this reveal panel of Nick Sachs to be a panel five. And the way I saw it, I'm like, oh, no, no, this should be a page turn splash. And oh, so nice. I, lay, I laid it all out for him the way I saw it. And he was like, absolutely. And, and Warren and Morrison and, you know, they were very good about trusting my instincts. Garth always knew what he wanted. Uh, and so I would try to make sure that he got what he wanted. But um, with uh, the more we did Transmetropolitan, the more Warren Ellis, like, you know, backed off on direction. Yeah. But he always have a concept, which is really cool. Like sometimes he'd say, oh, let's do this whole issue. It's like, 
I want just two panels horizontal on each page, or this is going to be all splash pages with dialogue up in the left corner. And so I would have a design idea going in based on what he would suggest and work within those parameters and always successfully. He was always say, you know, because then he, yeah. he just trust me to do my thing. Well, I'll tell you what, what blows me away uh, about um, Warren Ellis and Mark Wade is um, to work with, 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 with both of those, with a lot of writers, you end up having to solve the problem that the yes. writers created. But with Mark Wade, it, it's like playing with a great band. Absolutely. There are, there are no problems. So you can just jump in and just be creative. Uh, and if you don't feel like being creative, you can just do what they said. No, it's it's really true. And then, you know, Mark was one of the first writers I ever worked with. And, and we've only done a handful of projects together, but he's still one of my favorite people just in the world, but um, also to work with because his stuff was so clear and concise. We did a really, uh, one project that I'm really proud of years ago, but uh, I did an issue of 52 with him and I got to draw the death of Elongated Man and Elongated Man, mm. one of my favorite characters to draw when I was working on Justice League Europe. And he's also one of my favorite characters growing up because I was a big Flash fan. And the first comic book I ever collected was The Flash. And he used to have like backup stories uh, in there. Oh, you know, he, I, I, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, or he'd guest star a lot. So like, I felt like a new elongated man. So when I got the chance to draw him, uh, you know, monthly in Justice League Europe and then come back. And so to draw his death was a big deal for me. Like that was oh, like, because wow. and it was with Mark and Mark worked this just magical story because Sue was dead. Uh, she had been killed as part of that story arc. Um, and and Ralph was a mess without her, you know, because they, yeah. were, they were so in love. And so it was a story of mourning and he goes to Dr. Fate and Dr. Fate is a part of it. And I got to draw the helmet doing all this. Great oh, nice, man. And, but, I, but it was one of the few stories at the time I inked myself. So that was like an early inking job that I was, I, I can look back at and not cringe at. Because uh, okay. when I started inking uh, in 2003, I kept insisting on inking my own stuff. So I started out on Wolverine, but I wasn't fast or consistent enough to ink every issue of Wolverine. So I, they started bringing people in, as they do. And so, um, so when I got to the boys, I was like really adamant, like, I'm going to ink this. And so I did. Yeah. But, it, but I see the early issues and can see how far I've come. Um, but when it, that's, so that 52 issue with Mark is kind of like a, a sweet spot for me because I love the story and working with him was great. And he did too. Like he, he told me, uh, we, we, we keep talking about doing another project together. So oh, man. the time well, is, I, well, uh, I think he's, he's, he's such, yeah, he's uh, like, to me, Mark Wade is, is the quintessential comic book writer. Yeah. I mean, he's not writing a novel as a comic, he's not writing a screenplay as a comic. Yeah. He's writing a comic book as yeah. uh, as a comic. And and, uh, his, and sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say his breadth of knowledge for those characters is oh. so ingrained, and because he edited as well, you know, he's he's like yeah. he's got that editorial side uh, yeah. in history. Yeah. And you know, I, I I was I'm working on a project, and I needed uh, for DC that I'm writing as well as drawing, and and I got in the beginning, like when I wasn't sure about something, I was able to reach out and I'm like, how would these two characters interact? Like, would they, oh, nice. screw, would they screw <laughs> nice. each other over or would they team up? And he went, oh no, that guy would definitely screw the other guy over. I'm like, yeah. thank you. Cause that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Now and, I know. Dude, that's that's yeah. the coolest thing because he, he doesn't have this like arrested fanboy. No. You know, um, like approach to comics, you know, he, 
kind of has managed to age the characters up, you know, with with himself, you know, yeah. rather because there's there's too many people that have this like <laughs> very like comic booky kind of like you know uh, feel to their stuff. But yeah, Mark, I think manages to bring him into the real world. Yeah, I like well, that's what I like so much about Kingdom Come. You know, I mean, oh, like, wow, yeah, you got Alex Ross who is like just a master anyway. But like, you know, but, but it was the subtle things in that story that resonated with me later on. And one of them was uh, like Diana going to uh, get Superman to kind of come out of his fortress of solitude. And he's got like a hologram farm and he's just carrying in the actor with one hand while he's chatting. And like, I always think about that. I'm like, that's so, that's so Clark, you know? And cause there I'm seeing, because what I'm seeing there is Clark Kent but he's doing a very Superman thing. Yeah, know? yeah. So it's like a wonderful way of oh, yeah, yeah. both both aspects of those characters with, with just a simple sequence. And it was a dialogue page. It wasn't like a, oh, you know, dude. he wasn't yeah. gonna throw that, that that tractor at anybody. He's just putting it away. You yeah, know? and, and the, the <laughs> coolest thing is, is is every once in a while you see you see a, a, a book um, and, and The Boys is like this, oh, where as, as an artist, you know, you look at a book that's, you know, and sometimes it's a great book and, and you go, yeah, I should, I should have done that. I, I should have done that book. <laughs> I, I wish that book was offered to me. Yeah. But, but the awesome thing about it is, is with Kingdom Come and especially with the boys, I can go, nah, I would have wanted to do it, but the guys who did it were better than me for that job, oh, <laughs> you know. That, and, that's and high that's, I, I, yeah. Well, but know. that's but that's that's the coolest thing is 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 knowing that that uh, that each of us kind of have our wheelhouse. Yeah. You know? And uh, and and when I when I you know sort of looked at you know the sort of Jim Lee X Men stuff, I kind of go, yep, that's he was a better guy than me. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> sort of to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Jim, you know? Jim wasn't so nice, you know. <laughs> I'd hate him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's impossible to hate. He's, he's so yeah, damn good, and, and then he's so friendly on top of it. But yeah, and, that's uh, and the when, thing. It's like, but with the with the boys, you know, it's for me that was sort of like cutting loose. Like I was like uh, Ennis didn't approach superheroes the way I did like because he grew up on 2000 AD and Beano and and war comics and these weird sci-fi war comics and that was sort of his wheelhouse and oh yeah and he showed me and gave me some of the stuff that influenced him as a kid and his in his house was just covered in all cool old war comics in 2000 no and that's that's his jam you know he loves that stuff and so he doesn't have the affection and nostalgia for superheroes like i do so when it came time to work on that comic together like i wasn't just really interested in, in denigrating the justice league that really wasn't what it was about for me it was about taking those archetypes and turning them upside down like oh this. yeah yeah and so because yeah I, I get it it's a fish guy it's a it's a superwoman it's like you know those guys are in there but they would but the justice league would have huge issues with the seven you know like those <laughs> they, they there would never they, there would be no scene where superman and homelander are are agreeing on what they're doing yeah they're, they're buds <laughs> yeah no superman would have yeah. huge issues with homelander and and would lecture him at the minimum so uh but that's the thing that 
made it really cool for me because the premise behind the book was let's bring these superheroes and then put them in the real world where they can be corrupted by their power and celebrity the way everything is in our real yeah. world so it was like just turning the veil over and so but for me it was like another uh, artistically it was like wait are you telling me i get to draw a book with blood and guts and superheroes oh. <laughs> i can just do whatever we can just do whatever we want and draw the and just do the craziest story ever like for me hey i'm just drawing superheroes that i got to design so i'm like draw oh, yeah. my boys you know like yeah. and, those are and my the, characters uh, in my head i i totally see them three-dimensionally and alive so yeah and the, the coolest cool. yeah the coolest thing is is your your artwork on those characters and that story is the most truthful thing i can imagine you know it's 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 just it's just absolutely perfect you couldn't take a person like kurt swan and have them do the boys. <laughs> but, I, but I would love to see that. I would give. I would. I would have a seance in order to have that moment. Oh my God, that would be incredible. <laughs> he would have to murder himself afterward. <laughs> oh, man. oh my God, Kurt Swan's the boys. I would give anything to see that. Well, so, give anything. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was sort of the thing. I, when I started out in my career, like I was writing and drawing a book called Space Beaver that I created <laughs> in high school. You know, was you, it you, you did that when you were seventeen, right? What's that? You did that when you were like seventeen, right? Yeah, sixteen technically. Seventeen when I started. Oh, dude. <laughs> But uh, the, the published art is I was doing one in my high school art class. Like the, the, everybody else was drawing a still life and the teacher would come over and he'd go, you just keep doing that. And I was like, okay, <laughs> thank you. Wow. You know, wow. he was like, you know. How many, how many issues of that did you do? I did 11. Uh, the, the last issue was inked by somebody that the publisher found. He was like an indie, he had his own comic book store and he, it was like the black and white boom. And I got sort of swept up, swept up in his mad dream. He really liked my art. I mean, he, he believed in me, but it was like, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no mm. business being published at that age, but uh, here I am. Uh, nice. so, uh, but it was, but the whole point of that was that I had a real love for like my own sixth sense of humor was already in place then. And the whole premise behind space. Wow. Beaver, Space Beaver was that it was uh, a world of cartoon animals inspired by Rocket Raccoon and Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew. Oh, nice, nice. Stuff I was reading at the time. Mike Magnola's Rocket Raccoon was blah. And so I just yeah. wanted to create a character like that for fun. Just to, I was doodling in school, you know, getting in trouble. And I, and I had to go to summer school because I, I was drawing all the time and not doing my homework. So, uh, so you know, stay in school, kids. Huh? Um, <laughs> But so that ended up becoming the, but, but the premise behind it was that the, there was these crazy, uh, cute, fuzzy animals, but when they fight, they'd like blood and guts would pour out of them. And that, oh, just, nice. that just made me laugh, you know, like the cute animals with brains blasting out of their head. I love the contrast of it. And for me, and then there were, and, and then I wrote these scripts that were supposed to be, you know, heavy with pathos and, and melodrama, but uh, nobody understood I was joking. So they thought I was really trying wow. to <laughs> spell this heavy duty story with this cartoon beaver and his tortoise pal. Um, and so it, it's <laughs> like sort of- Guys in white lab coats you know coming up to you and kind of going yeah. uh, come with us <laughs> yeah like what no more i think just like people in the comic book store like this sucks you know but i mean it's 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 warm in quarter bins across america as we speak so uh, <laughs> but the point was i was happy enough just to be getting published that i was kind of learning as i went and then yeah. 
but that contrast that went into that would end up bleeding into what made the boys work for me. So for me, I like that contrast. So you're going to take these, the world sees these straight laced superheroes, but behind the scenes, we see that there is, they're, they're depraved and it's like follow Rome kind of stuff. And we're, and Huey being our guide is, you know, that's Ennis's brilliance. Like, uh, but Huey being our guide, like he's the everyman. So we yeah. get to go on yeah. that road with him. And it was that made me so happy when the TV show came out uh, and they started to go into production. Eric Kripke sat down with me and asked me what I wanted the show to be like. And I was stunned that I was even being asked. But wow. um, but Eric Kripke is a great guy that way. And he loved the comics. So it was important to him to get Garth and I our feedback before he started writing. And so his um, my thing was, I said, are you going to have the scene where Huey's holding the arms? And he's like, I wasn't <laughs> sure. It seemed like that's like a little bit too much. I'm like, no, no, you really need that in there. Yeah, yeah. dude. Because it's got to be. It. It's got to be funny. And that moment is where you connect with Huey. If you don't feel Huey's pain, that right ahead is just going to be a long, confusing slog. But if the comedy is intact and you're emotionally connected to Huey, it works. And boy, if they didn't nail it, and Jack Quaid just perfect. Well, it's oh funny. yeah, yeah. Brian and I were talking back. I guess when season two dropped. And uh, I'd called him that Friday night for some reason. He's like, God, fuck you. I'm watching the boys. <laughs> should be a t-shirt. <laughs> and, uh, um, but we, we, you know, so we talked later that night because I was going to watch it too. So I went ahead and watched it then, right? And um, it, it, there, I don't think there's ever been a, any adaptation of a comic that's better than the boys. I mean, uh, it's, it's truly... Like, and I don't, I don't, I'm not, you know, blow a smoke up your ass. I mean, that's, they just c completely nailed it. So I'm glad you, that I was going to ask you, like, how involved were you? Because. Uh, well, I, I'd like, like to it. take more credit than I'm allowed to. I mean, it, at the end of the day, um, I don't go in the writer's room or consult or anything, but I do have a good relationship with, with uh, Eric Kripke. And uh, I, you know, I get to read the scripts ahead of time. And uh, they hired me to do artwork on the show. A lot of that artwork you see in the backgrounds and on the walls, they actually hired me. Oh, wow, me. cool. Wow. So that, it's that's really cool. Yeah, it's really nice. And, 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 I, and then I've been to set for both seasons. And, I'm, you know, if COVID allows, I'll hopefully get up to season three set before they, they shut down. But they, everybody, they had a chair with my name on it. And like, <laughs> you know, they were happy I was there. And everybody, I've had people come up, made friends. I have friends on the set now that I miss. Like, so it's like, when I go back oh, man, to Toronto, really I got cool. people I want to see like that, you know, amongst the cast and also just guys that work on the show, um, people that work on the show that are just, they've just been great. And and I'm lucky in that regard because, you know, I, I've other stuff of mine has been adapted and I had nothing to do with it. So this has been a real special experience for me. And as far as like the best thing ever adapted, I mean, I would say Umbrella Academy is probably a close second, but uh, or at least in my heart, because yeah, I it's right there too. It's it, and those they couldn't be more different, but yet they both came out around the same time. And, and yeah. it, it's it's funny. I think it took you know we've had so many bad adaptations, but so you know, like that you know yeah. Christopher Reeve Superman was the start where people understood that this could be a thing, yeah. but nobody thought anything but superman right and, 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 Batman. And, and, and the thing that makes and that's one of my favorite movies of all time and probably the reason i got into comics as hardcore as i did was after 1978 and seeing superman the movie because one christopher reeve just so perfectly embodied superman oh yeah yeah he still is to this day the gold standard and i really like i think uh henry cavill's a great superman and some not so great superman roles Right. But, yes. um, but I think I think he had the potential to be something. He's, he's amazing on The Witcher, but I digress. 
Um, but what, what I think is really interesting is that they, uh, that was the gold standard, but the thing that they really brought to Superman the movie that it seems to have gotten lost until the Marvel movies started coming out is the majesty of those stories. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You need that majestic feeling to it, like the, the big important theme song and the vast states of, you know, what that world could be. And, yeah. the, you know, that long, slow ride into Krypton in the beginning that Donner brings us on is just yeah. magical. I mean, even though well, super, Krypton doesn't original, look realistic anymore. Yeah, the original Superman movie felt like it was painted by Alex Ross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and these new movies don't. <laughs> and know? it had a little bit of everything too, which is kind of what I was trying to say earlier, but like there's a little bit of romance, there's some comedy, there's some, you know, it's got yeah. all the beats. It's not just trying to be one thing. And it's also not trying to be something that's not. It's it's right. unashamedly a Superman story. Well, it, th and, that's the, and that's the, I like that about Batman Begins as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, the the reality is the the most popular or the, the ones that we all remember and seem to be wildly popular with with the general you know fans is that the people that are adapting them respect the IP. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's where I think that's what's really magical about where we are as fans because we're all getting middle aged. But the um, I think what makes it really great right now is like our generation is making this stuff. Right. Yeah. Jim yeah. James Gunn loves comic books, and it shows when you watch Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yes, and you I don't know, think and you know, John Favreau loves Star Wars. How do you know? Watch The Mandalorian. It's the greatest thing a Star yeah. Wars fan could wish for. And yeah, and it's not—it's not a—it's not, not a sycophantic love, you know. No, it's—it's—it's it's, it's it's a, a love and respect. You it's know? a chance to play with the toys, you know. Yeah, it's a yeah. chance to get in there and do your own thing with with the with the characters, and that's, and a, back that's to, a great feeling. You know, to Henry Cavill, yeah. like you just wonder, like what comic, what Superman comic books did Zack Snyder actually read? Yeah, well. <laughs> I, I think I, I don't, I'm not one to shit on Zack Snyder's stuff, but I think he definitely has a very dark view of that world and the power struggles in it. But um, I just don't find myself feeling, I, I want to feel hope when I see Superman and I don't right. feel inspired. Yeah. And I don't feel hopeful. And he brings in that, like, be afraid of me. I'm an alien that can take over the world. And that's interesting but that should only be an aspect. That should be, in my opinion, that's something Superman would always be elevating and shattering those norms. Where oh yeah, that's uh, that's that makes a really great Brightburn movie. You're right, yeah, yeah. which was terrific. I really like <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, the boys and and Brightburn and those are the fun things that where you take Superman and you flip it around. Yeah, yeah. like what thing, I, you guys ever remember that World's Finest that Dave Gibbons wrote and drew years ago? Steve Rude did the artwork. I'm sorry, I said Dave drew it, but Dave Gibbons wrote it and Steve Rude did the artwork. It was back in the 80s. But the Steve Rude covers were so amazing because he did this light dark thing on all of them where Superman and Batman would be on a building, but the, the sun is coming up behind Superman. Oh yeah, and, yeah, I remember and, and those. Batman's crouched down on the, on the that, building yeah. and, the, and the, the night is fading below him and, and they're, they're the pivot between light and dark. And yeah. it's like that kind of stuff is like, for me, that's what I think I missed in those uh, Henry Cavill films is that the suit was so dark and foreboding that I love the Christopher Reeve suit because it looked like a symbol of hope. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah. There's, there's really, there's really no difference between Superman and Batman. You know, they're, they're both these brooding characters suffering loss. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, which which and would ultimately like, like, but then Superman, he's a kid from the, the, he's ultimately a kid from the country. He's, 
carrying that tractor in, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but whereas Batman, he was raised a rich kid and, and then orphaned. So, you know, like they're very different, like whether or not, you know, depending on which canon you get tangled up in, Superman ultimately had loving parents, you know, like yeah. he, he got to grow up with his loving parents and they kind of molded him. And that's an essential piece of that character because without that influence, what might he have become? If you swap their origins, and like I'm writing in Elseworlds as we speak, but if you if you swap their origins and the Kents got murdered right in front of young Clark and, uh, you know oh yeah different story <laughs> yeah like what happens when those powers start to manifest that's that's a terrifying notion yeah, yeah. I, I think we're you know and, and i'm not one to really like i don't shit on Zack snyder uh all that much uh you know i i went into that movie with high hopes um yeah. but there's, there's parts of it that are enjoyable yeah i'll yeah. just take on batman where, where, I, where, I, where I realized in the theater that it was wrong was yeah. when you know uh his dad was telling him no no don't you know i don't want you to get exposed don't save me it's like that's not superman yeah you know? well also that just that that belies that was silly to me because you know that's one of those things it's almost like an old comics trope being dragged into cinema that didn't need to be there and one of those tropes is how much people can see moving at super speed because yeah. in the old flash comics that i loved one of the things that makes I, I didn't see it as a kid i see it when i go back and read these old 60s stories and there'll be a shot like a splash page of flash just hauling ass down a street in central city full speed and the people around him are reacting as if he's standing in that static pose. Right. Because they're saying things like, oh my, there goes the Flash. Where do you think he's going? Maybe the turtle's back in town. Or, you know, like they're commenting on it as if he's just standing there long enough for them to have a conversation. When in reality, it would just be a, there was the Flash. You know, what was yeah. that? Yeah. You know, and that's how fast Superman, now Superman can race the Flash. So I can assume that he's fast enough to snatch, you know, uh, right. Uh, his dad, Jonathan. I had Henry in my head for some reason because of the actor, but he you could snatch Jonathan Kent from that situation and the dog and be yeah. far away before anybody even oh. notices because he's Superman, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I think it speaks to the I don't know, you're speaking to a, a different world and a different generation and blah blah blah, but that's where Richard Donner nailed it completely. absolutely. You know, oh, yeah. Snyder yeah. missed it completely. And then the fact with Batman, you know, driving around, shooting up people and all, you're like, no. Yeah, no I didn't no. like that. that, that uh, but I haven't said that. that, that I, that's I, against the core of the character, which is right. I don't kill. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's the thing. Yeah. It's like when they, and they, speaking of Donner Superman, like one of the greatest scenes with the amazing uh, Ford, like acting in it where he's like, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. no. Like he just gets that heart attack and like, and collapses. Well, hey, that's a way of taking out Superman's father, and then he has one of this great moral dilemma: all these powers, and I couldn't save. Him. Couldn't, yeah, such a oh great. yeah, and and the fact the fact that it's shot as a long shot. Yeah. You know, it, you don't get to be intimate. That with was that amazing. Scene. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was just like just just a, a fantastic choice. Well, you're in a, you, Brian. You like classical art. Like to me, it's like the influence of, of Wyeth on that entire oh yeah oh like <laughs> yeah. Those, those blowing uh fields of wheat and like it was like being, <laughs> yeah. like like wyeth just directed that whole se sequence yeah and and what's 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 odd to me is that was never like the wyeth of it was never in the comic book no that's something that donner brought to it yeah and it's and we it's John so Williams perfect yeah, it's it's so perfect that we've we've gone back and re-edited the comic books 
to yeah. make them all have that sort of Kansas wheat yeah. fields, you know, kind of feel to but that's, it. That's that's part of the majesty, you know, like that's what I mean, like like that that and that incredible sweeping theme that Williams wrote, like oh, that, yeah. that's so integral to what I see and feel whenever I look at Superman now. I hear yeah. that theme in the back of my head. I, I think of those. And when I think about who he was, and I, I really did like that about Man of Steel, though, when uh, Clark is first discovering his powers and then goes on that crazy first flight. That was that was good stuff. Um, yeah, there's yeah. good stuff in there. And I, I don't like I, you know, I'm going to watch the four hour cut of Justice League. I'm actually kind of excited about it because yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering we'll how much uh, he, you know, kind of like talking about the boys, like if I, if it's unbridled. Because they, they optioned the boys back in 2008 and no studio would make it. Like, I don't know why they kept optioning it because nobody wanted to make it. Uh, yeah. But it, it, it took until, you know, in some presto, changeo, kung fu, Eric Kripke magic to get it over to Sony television that we get the show we got. And the greatest thing is that because it's a hit, they're giving them more and more leash. So I, yeah. I can't imagine what season three is going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> Now, yeah, I've read you know, some of the one, early one, stuff. I'm kind of scared. <laughs> now, one, one thing I, I wanted to kind of toss out there is, is uh, I believe both you guys are wrong as far as adaptation. Oh. Uh, clearly, Happy is the best adaptation <laughs> of, I think, like the cinematographer and the, um, like yeah. everyone involved in Happy, that actually looked like your art. The pilot for sure, yeah. They, I yeah, like, I mean, it, it, went it down just and, really they nailed have, it. I didn't do, I didn't have anything to do with it. They just took my comic book and put it on screen. And, you know, so I, I, I didn't have any say over how it ended up being. I thought the pilot looked exactly, they, they bragged on using the comic as a roadmap. So, oh, dude, they, they use the comics practically as, as storyboards. I mean, the, yeah, the, the that, colors, the, the lighting, you know, sort of everything. Just like when, um, when I saw that, I was just like, oh, man. This yeah. is, no, they really, I was they, like, this is the comic book. Yeah, know? it was very, the, the pilot is definitely very faithful and, and the cast is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, when I when I heard that uh, Maloney was uh, was cast for it, I was just like, yeah, that was, eh, no, I don't know. Wow. Um, but then then when I saw him in the role, it's like he was no, his comedy just was unapologetic, remarkable. man. Yeah, no, just he, absolutely he, he, solid. Yeah, no, I think Chris Maloney did a fantastic job. And I saw Pat yeah. Oswald, like Pat Oswald was a great choice for the voice. Okay. Now, one of the things that, that we try to, you know, sort of when, when we don't go way too deep into the weeds of, uh, of comics, one of the things that we try to talk about, because the show is actually shot by shot, and, uh, and, and I always kind of get jazzed about this when I'm, when I'm talking to a storyteller. Um, are there any particular sort of sequences or shots in comics or in movies that either blow your mind or is just really influential on, uh, on what you do? Uh, are you talking about stuff that's adapted from mine or just in the world in general? I'm just in the world in general. Oh, yeah. I mean, the I stuff that be, gets you excited. Yeah, I'm a big Terry Gilliam fan. Uh, oh, dude. Like, yeah. I, I would study his, the way he would set up shots. And uh, same with Scorsese. Like, all of my Scorsese and Tarantino, like, that's all my action sequences, all my bloody stuff. Like, I look at the way they do it and, and why it works because I think with the comics, you have a different. Uh, job to do because in film it can go by as fast as the director wants it to but in comics people can linger on stuff when they yeah. cho they choose when to move on so it's a, a more intimate and uh, independent experience reading a comic book than it is watching uh, something on film 
So I always like to think about what you, you know, what gets that maximum effect. John Carpenter also brilliant at yeah. how he uses gore and uh, and when he shows it to you, like because he'll Man. build up, he builds up to stuff. He doesn't do it gratuitously. And I think, um, it's, I think it's odd that you that you made those those uh, those two initial choices because I, I think I think they're diametrically opposed to each other in that um, Gilliam is fantastic at scale. Yeah, he is so brilliant at just capturing just the vastness. Absolutely. Uh, like when 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 you think of like Brazil and yeah. you think of um you know um you know just just everything he does it just feels like you're just in this world that has no end. But on the flip side of that, Scorsese is just these guys in a room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that, he's, but he's for really me that, brilliant at that, like just that little interaction between these guys in a room yeah, but and, you just and described the world comics. is not there. You just described comics to me because that's essentially Dude, a comic yeah. book story. Like how often do we have to like go from some big shot of Batman swinging over the city and doing his badass Batman stuff. And then he's talking to Alfred in, a, in the Batcave and then you're just seeing a little bit of the Batcave because there's a lot of dialogue on that page. And you're getting a summation, so it's like that push pull is everything that I love about comics. Yeah, like I love well, turning a page and getting a big expanse. Yeah, you know? you're, you're not a, you're not afraid to do that. You know, you're not afraid to, and, and and it's kind of it's kind of funny because I've I've talked to, um, to a number of different artists, and especially the the monthly guys, you know, who yeah. who are the guys that that are sort of down in the bilge, like bailing water, keeping the ship floating for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, who like show up and do a couple of pages a week. <laughs> a week, so it's come like, on. <laughs> so, so it's kind come of on. like, it's, it's, it's really cool to see that, um, that you're, you're not afraid to kind of go, you know what, I'm gonna do like a city scene that's gonna be a double page splash. Uh, and it's, it's gonna have thousands of buildings yeah, you know, if I have, I'll start that page at the beginning of the job and work on a little bit of it and then move to something else and do a couple of those dialogue pages we were just discussing. And I'll knock those out in like a day. And then I'll yeah. work a little bit more on that cityscape. And then I'll go do another dialogue page and draw a big face or, you know, a hand holding a coffee mug or whatever is called for. And then I'll go back on working a little bit more of that cityscape. And so that cityscape gets done and then I'll probably turn that in last. You know? Yeah, but that way I can man. just break up the, the tedium because it's very hard to just sit down for me and, and, and for me to just sit down and draw something like that all in one city and I need to take breaks from it. But um, yeah. it's it's the, uh, but I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm still pretty prolific. I just am happy to have more room to do that kind of detail. I use my time for that because I don't want to be um, stagnant i actually just want to have i just want quality work i'm getting to that age and I, I know you know what i mean because you know we're getting to that age where it's like i don't want just a stack of shitty comic books that are half-assed and <laughs> with filling guys in the middle because i just couldn't yeah. get my act together and get them done i i really want it to be i'm like i'm looking more at stuff like I'm, i've been studying dave stevens like crazy oh, and, 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 yeah. and frank frazetta and looking at like that and wally wood and, and those guys that were just craftsmen even though like you know, I, I had a publisher who remained nameless actually say to me, like, you don't want to end up like Dave Stevens, do you? And I'm like, yes, please. I would love <laughs> yes. you know, he, he was he goes, he only did a handful of books. I go, and then they made a movie out of it. You know? Yeah. It's like, yes. yeah, Dave Stevens was amazing. And then his work is as is better than the movie. And that 
It never yeah. happens. And the movie's oh, great. Yeah. I love that yeah. adaptation. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that's that's the thing is, is is guys like Dave Stevens or Jim Steranko, you know, yeah. it's just like, it's like Jim Steranko did a handful of books, but the entire industry like changed because of those. Yeah, you can change comics oh, forever. And then he turned, movie. and then in his spare time, designed Indiana Jones like it was. <laughs> yeah, I was at his booth. He had a booth right next to mine at San Diego a few years back, and uh, I he was sitting there, and we and we started, and he had all his prints out, and this piece of Indiana Jones. I'm like, wait, this is you? I never knew it was him. I had yeah. seen the piece. Wow, I just I'm I'm to something about working with Lucas. You know, because I hadn't seen it since I was a kid in a book somewhere. And he was like, oh, yeah, they had me do a bunch. Of, and I'm like, so I bought it. <laughs> yeah. I've got it, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah, he, he's a god. I yeah. mean, if there's a yeah. comic god, sweet guy, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, like, you know, you, you can do like a thousand terrible books. Or you can be Dave Stevens. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, or, or, like... or you can be Derek Robertson and have both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A thousand terrible books, and then an epiphany in his middle age crisis. Yeah, and then suddenly he's he's in the lotus position, floating. (laughs) That is not correct. Well, you're kind, but that's the uh, one of the things that's really interesting is that Transmetropolitan was a pivot point for me when I was ready to give up, and I share this as a story of how funny life can be. Um, we, I had been, uh, both Warren and I were like kind of wallflowers at Marvel and I really wanted a steady gig and I just couldn't seem to get one. And then they would, they were going through bankruptcy and all these editors were leaving and getting repositioned. And it was a crazy time when, uh, Warren called and said, Hey, do you want to do this Transmetropolitan book? This is the idea. And, you know, and I, I drew it from the ground up with him. Like we, we co-created it really, um, from the bottom up, which was really fun. But at the same time, I, in the midst of designing this character and kind of moving towards taking this book on monthly, I finally got offered a Spider-Man team up. And that would have been a monthly book where it's Spider-Man and another Marvel character every month. Like, I I want that book now. (laughs) That sounds like like so much fun. (laughs) And I was going to be the monthly guy on it. And I were like, and I had to like, you know, uh, it was a Betty and Veronica moment, you know, like, Oh man, who do I take wow. to the prom? But um, a friend of mine, John Estes, gave me some great advice where he said, "Hey, you know what? Why don't you try doing your own thing? Because it, you know, you never know if it takes off. You know, your name will be above the character from then on. Whereas if you, you know, Spider-Man's going to be there if this thing fails. It's not yep. like there's never going to be another Spider-Man job. Yep. Wow. And I was like, hey, that's a good point, you know. So I decided at that point. And then it was surprising because the editor uh, at the time, or Karen Berger, like she was really skeptical about uh, me drawing the book. She only knew my superhero stuff. So she was like, I don't know about this guy doing the, a book like this. And they wanted me to audition with a different script from a different writer on a totally different <laughs> idea. And I'm like, I think it was a shame. Book. It's a shame she knew you were American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah because well, and we, had, we had even yeah. talked about me doing Sandman once upon a time. But, uh, and she said the same thing then. So it was funny because, and I really like Karen. I'm not, I'm not talking bad about her at all. Um, she, Cause she did ultimately come around. And, and I, what happened was I said, I don't want to audition. I've done enough comic books that I think I've earned my right to just co-create a thing. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I shouldn't yeah. have to audition for something that the writer wants me, the editor wants me, you know? So I, I compromised and said, look, I'll do three issues if they're terrible and you don't like them and I'm not pulling my weight or they're not succeeding. 
uh, I'll walk away. You give me my creator rights for designing the guy and you guys do whatever you want. And they agreed to that. So I turned in my first four pages later that, uh, like the following week and I got my contract before the end of the weekend. Like, like oh, they, nice. they immediately <laughs> were like, oh no, these are good. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So okay. they clearly had, but that was fun because it was like all the indie rock i mean all the stuff that i loved growing up aside from superhero stuff which i loved but i also liked the gritty indie stuff like love and rockets and uh, yeah, the yeah. rocketeer and you know these things that weren't mainstream superhero books um and some of the weird you know i loved robert crumb's stuff and i loved those yeah and, and, and old ec comics i like stuff like that so my taste was always varied anyway i just never really had a place to kind of bust out the punk rock records and have a concert you know that's how many like, issues you know. did you end up doing of of i'm trying to remember now like how Trans many metropolitan yeah that was 60 issues did you do Whoa. you did 60 I did 60 issues, only one issue with the month I got married. I, did I not draw? I drew the majority of it, but I didn't draw all of it. That was one where they had uh, Spiders yeah. watching TV and he sees like an action version of himself and Brian Hitch drew a porno version of him. And, <laughs> and then uh, Leia, Leia Hernandez uh, drew an anime version of it. And so it was, yeah, good, good, good. Well, fun. see, and, and we have this conversation and, and it, there's, there's two schools of thought. And I think, and, and, I mean, there's, we grew up on, you know, I, I, we're the 70s, right? I mean, that was when I, I got my first comic and, you know, mid-70s, Superman movie, blah, 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 all that stuff. Yeah. But but we had those great monthly comic book artists. Mm -hmm. uh, but the standard was different. It was, yeah. you know, Jack Kirby, you know, or, or you know, Sal Buscema or yeah. those guys, you know, they were drawing fun superhero comic books that Absolutely. we all loved. And then you get to the, you know, Brian Hitch. Yeah. And drawing, you know, the, uh, the you know, Avengers, whatever it was called. The Ultimates. And, 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 and just from, taking the bar and putting it way up here. Yeah, you, oh, yeah. yeah. You go from Captain America having, like, his his red boots were yeah. red. Yep. That was it. There was nothing to it. You know, it was like a slip-on sock. And, <laughs> and then you go to Brian Hitch. The laces. Drawing <laughs> laces. The, the laces and the little hooks that the yep. laces go around and combat boots. And so you can't. Paul Neary just inking it perfectly. Yeah, you can't. Oh, it was a Mark those. Farmer. I think Mark Farmer actually. Uh, yeah, no. I think it was Mark Farmer. You cannot compare those two things. They're just so completely different. At least somebody at Marvel had the foresight at that time to say, you know, this is going to be a, a book that sells for 100 years. Right. So yeah. You need to it, let him take his time. But, you know, on the flip side of that, you're not creating new monthly, you know, the, the, the way the industry was working. You're not creating new fans uh that are coming to the comic shop every month looking for that book because they don't exist you know yeah, like, i've learned that with not do that on a monthly <laughs> so it's it's really cool like that where, where your art is is really detailed and really into the weeds but you do that monthly well if i get a good lead time i can put it out so it comes out on time but with oliver my independent comic that i'm doing with for image with gary witta which is a huge labor of love. And I'm very, very proud of the work I did on it, but I can't, because it takes so much time and because it's an independent book, it, there's not a lot of upfront money to that I can take all my time and just work on that because yeah. it's just, it's just, I have to do something else too. And so the something else keeps coming in and taking up all my time. But Hellblazer was a really good experience because even though, because they gave me a plenty of uh, lead time to do it and it, so they were 44 page issues, um, I was able to kind of like wrap my head around hitting those deadlines. And even though I got into a little bit of a 
rocky uh, month because of the wildfires and I got sick in the midst of it because you know life happens um, yeah, I yeah. still managed to rally and finish it so it's it's the third issue comes out this week um, but that was a great experience because it was just me and a writer and um, unfortunately our, our editor got laid off uh, in the big bloodbath oh, wow, wow. but he um, Andy Corey was awesome and then the guys that came in after him excellently uh, evilly easily as, as wonderful to work with. Um, but they gave me the time to finish it up myself. And it was like one of those moments where they're like, okay, we're, we're ready to bring in an inker for you. Or that I'm like, please just tell me what the deadline is. If you can give me another week and a half. Cause yeah. I didn't even, cause in the, all the chaos, like I didn't even know what the deadline was. And then, then wow. when they told me, it was like, that's like a week from now. And I had like 20 pages to still do. And I was like, okay, I can't do 20 pages in a week and keep the quality up. But if you just tell me and so they got me a little more time and I worked tirelessly and and got it in on time but I'm so happy because this will now get collected and it'll be one yeah, steady yeah. consistent read with one team one artist one writer and a great colorist Diego Rodriguez um and it looks consistent because I mean you know nobody wants to be in the middle of an episode of Game of Thrones and then somebody else is playing Jon Snow in Act Two. Right. You know? That's yeah, what yeah, it feels yeah. like when you're when you get a fill-in guy in the middle of a series. So on those monthly books, they were structured so the artist would get a break. You know, you'd, yeah, you'd have yeah. a couple issues where Ron Friends would be drawing Spider-Man instead of Basema or you know, yeah. and I and I grew up on a lot of those guys, like Ross Andrew was a guy that seemed tireless. But yeah, yeah. and a lot of those books work. were sixteen. A lot of those books were sixteen pages too. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, I think twenty-two was the standard when I was reading, but they had those backup features like I was talking yep, about. Yeah. Like so, those flash issues. There was like you're right. It was like sixteen-page flash story, and then there'd be like an eight-page uh, elongated man story in the back. Or firestorm yeah. was was yeah. a yeah. And that, that, that sort, like of, that sort of thing is doable. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I don't know that I don't know that that wouldn't work today. I think that uh, the problem is is this you know the the market so in flux and people don't know uh, what to do. Yeah, you know? I think <laughs> I personally think that we're going to have to have a reckoning where we rethink all of it. And if we don't yeah. do that as an industry, I think we're going to reap the whirlwind um, because COVID has actually exposed what was already kind of a um, a loose screw in the boat uh, oh, yeah. in that everybody, you know, now that the direct market is horribly impacted, uh, you know, people aren't able to go and get their books. And so these, these, you know, these stores are struggling to stay afloat and that's the bottom of the boat for the industry right now is these yeah, direct yeah. market. You, when I was, when we were kids, where did we get our comic books? At the pharmacy, at the grocery yeah, store. Yeah, the, the what was the trade-off? Well, then they had to be sanitized. So you couldn't get a Dark Knight Returns, uh, yeah. but somehow I was able to find heavy metal on the same rack. So. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and you know, I, I, for, for years I struggled, you know, I've been, I've been in the retail side of it. I've been in the publishing side of it. Uh, I've worked for big publishers. I worked on my own. And uh, my goal for years was, I mean, we've got to get comics back in front of as many people as possible, you know, through distribution. Well, you know, that's not happening ever well, and, again, other than through digital. Yeah, I, but in the, I'm sorry, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, I was, but I mean, the world has changed completely. Right. And now, but but what, what we found and a bunch of other people have found too, um, you know, and we've got a little bit of heat for this, but, you know, with Brian's new book, we did a Kickstarter and, 
it was this is a way for somebody like Brian, who is the guy, you know, that's going to meticulously draw every page yeah. up to his standards, period. And it's a way for us to fund that kind of a project uh, instead of a four or five issue miniseries that comes out monthly. Right. Uh, we're going to, we're going to go through the crowdfunding so that Brian's fans and Doug Wagner, who's writing the book, you know, uh, Brian and Doug's fans can go and buy the prestige limited, like you're getting the vinyl pressing, you know, like Jack White does with his albums, right? <laughs> yeah. Buy those from third man records and, and he's pressing those, you know, albums. It is, it is placed in, you know, Tennessee uh, or Detroit. I can't remember which, where, where his, where his press is, but, you know, he's making those albums. You're getting the first copies. There's only going to be a limited amount of them and yeah. they're gone. And, but oh, I... for, for the fans that, that just want cool shit, yeah. they can buy the comic book and the, and you know, they can buy the graphic novel in the bookstores or, you know, through Amazon or hopefully through their comic book shop as a, as a, as a, you know, graphic novel. But what yeah. we're doing is, is sort of saying, Hey, look, if you're a collector and you really want something that's unique, uh, that's only going to be a few thousand that exist. Uh, of a Brian Stelfreeze book, like that's unheard of. No, right? that's a great idea. That's a good example of how we're, the, the comic book industry is uh, just slowly changing anyway, because Kickstarter yeah. and crowds, Patreon, things like that. These weren't even options when we yeah. were younger. So, right. you know, oh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I wish that I, I had I all Both of us would be different guys. If, yeah, both of us would be different guys if these things, um, like it's, it's kind of, because I mean, um, you came in after I did, but I think, there was still that farm system of hey work for some independence and then mm -hmm. one well, day you will get the call from bob harris and one no, day that's very the much the, the path you that know? i took brian i yeah. like, that, that but, was very uh, much my path. yeah and and um i mean both of us as young guys wanting to get into comics the goal was to eventually work at marvel and dc right that was you the know? tip of the that was the top of the mountain mm -hmm. yeah um but now i think um young guys and girls getting into comics now have that option of, well, I'm not even gonna work for Marvel or DC. Yeah. I'm going to only go here, <laughs> you know, and right. do my own stuff. So, um, so it's- Which is it's kind really of exciting because I think a whole new world gets born. Because, you know, it's like a lot of people, we get all hung up as if what we see in front of us today is the way it always has been and the way it always will be. But it's yeah. really important to stop and remember that once upon a time, there Tarzan was like the hottest character on in cinema, and <laughs> once upon a time, the number one character on TV was the Lone Ranger, and yeah. you know, like, and and those are still cool characters. But where are they now? You know, like yeah. nobody gets that excited about well, Tarzan and the Lone Ranger or Flash Gordon the way they did then. And yeah, that, and I hate, and, and I, and if you don't think that's going to happen to Spider Man and Batman and you know, you're in for a rude awakening. It will happen, maybe not in our lifetimes. No, no, something news, something news come. We have Miles right. Morales, and there's that same argument going on right now. Right. Uh, and dude, so, look, you know, they're reinventing Spider-Man as we speak. What's beautiful about these smart. characters is how they're adaptable, and they, they get passed on to generations, and the people that love them pick them up and do something new, and then they pass them on. Like, my kids love Spider-Man now, but they only loved him because of multiversity, uh, the multiverse. Yeah. Like yeah, they love yeah. the Miles Spider more than they really relate to the Peter Parker. Yeah, and that's what's important is creating the new generation of fans. And that was what was ignored for probably 20 years. Right. Well, that was the weird push-pull of the direct market surge is that we lost uh, what we gained by dropping the Comics Code Authority 
you, you know, you wouldn't have a book like The Boys if, if that hadn't yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. And then, or Transmetropolitan for that matter. But so for the fact that like that opened up a gateway to like much better creator stuff, uh, in my opinion, because Frank Miller got to break loose, all these amazing artists and writers got to do stuff that was unheard of, uh, you know, before the mid 80s that the uh, upside of that or the the other side of that is that we sort of lost our innocence along the way like and, yeah you know, kind of hard well, to go back to the garden of eden you know you know i i'm i'm always the uh, you know it probably it's it's i don't know I, maybe i'm wrong I'm, I'm a have your cake and eat it too like i think those two things that that's your goal mm-hmm. like if that's not your goal you're doing it wrong and when when dc pulled teen titans from the uh direct from the newsstands that hurt me because there was no place for me to go buy my favorite book. Yeah. And as a kid who, who, who grew up, you know, going to the grocery store and the gas station and the drugstore to get their comics. Yeah. To read a thing where it said, Hey, if you want to buy the next issue of teen Titans, you've got to find an exclusive dealer. Well, I lived in bumfuck Alabama. Right. There was no (laughs) other place to go. So, you know, fuck you, whoever made that decision that really pissed me off. Yeah. Now, years later, a couple of years later, I found a place that that had, you know, that was a direct market store. Yeah. Uh, it was a toy and hobby shop that just started getting books, and that's where I discovered, you know, some of that cool stuff that was coming out at the time. But it was like, like you just cut off your audience, and and so yeah. I was a, I was worthy of being forgotten in DC's yeah. eyes. Yeah, that's that's forward. that's a shame. I mean, I'm the first time I found a an actual comic book store. I didn't even know such a thing existed. So. My, we found one. It was my dad was kind enough to drive me a half, like 45 minutes to another yeah. neighboring town to go to comics and comics in Palo Alto. But going through back issue bins was like a miracle to me. Like, oh, my God, oh, yeah. I can finally find out what happened before my first issue of The Flash. Yeah, you know, there was like <laughs> to me, it was just a mystery up until then. Right. Oh, man. Know? Well, yeah, that's that's the crazy thing is I remember first tripping across a comic book shop uh, when I lived in uh, in New York and the concept of a long box didn't even exist in my head. When I saw like just a room filled with long boxes, I mean, I just died. I was just like, oh my God, this is insane. You know? Yeah. And, so that was the coolest thing ever. And then the bane of my existence ever since. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, with that, what you're saying, Kevin, is, is really profound in that, um, how do we get our cake and eat it too? Like that's what, I think that's what the uh, dream of the direct market was actually supposed to be. And what makes me crazy is we also had to come out of a generation that uh, in the early nineties, when image finally broke big, uh, nobody really understood what comics were like in the, in the mass public. So you would talk to people about comic books and they would think lowbrow stuff that was just for kids. And some of that image stuff wasn't changing any minds, but some of it was brilliant. And some of the stuff Marvel and DC was brilliant and was changing the way people like you read Daredevil Born Again by Miller and Mazzucchelli. Like it's an elevated form, even though that was something you yeah. on the racks then. Um, yeah. But what was missing was people's open-mindedness about what a comic book shop was. Because those same people wouldn't go into Blockbuster Video and expect only to find G-rated films. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The cultural, you know, it just took longer than it probably should have. Uh, you know, but and the I, movies have been a good ambassador for that. Like these Marvel movies. Have oh, them. without a doubt, Marvel has done has done more good. Although now I'll take a step back from that too. Um, 
I think that Marvel's done such a good job that people that are like in their 40s, they don't feel the need to go find the comic books. That's <laughs> Although the, the sales on the boys comics have surged like crazy. Well, right, that, that was my other point. So you, you have like the Marvel and DC fans like me that grew up in the yeah. 70s and in the 80s. Like our fix is kind of there. Like I don't have a desire to go buy uh, the new, you know, daredevil comic or whatever right. but i i absolutely want to keep up with the boys i want to go back and find out you know what's going to be the next season uh, uh the umbrella academy all the cool stuff like yeah. the, the shit that's not superheroes like i seek that out i'm surprised how much my own kids don't really gravitate towards comics their exposure to the characters are through the movies and the games yeah, yeah. um but when my youngest came to me he, he fell in love with the flash tv series and uh, he wanted to know more about the Flash, and I didn't know where to start him because yes. I couldn't. Oh yeah, these, <laughs> these stories go back so far that it's really hard to like. Not easy. If, if anything, I would kind of figured out. Okay, well, this actually is sort of adapting Flashpoint, and so I bought him that. And but, but he's open to it. But it's like I imagine that you know he most kids probably don't have a dad that has an encyclopedia it's not a memory of these characters yeah, yeah. that they, they probably go to a comic book store and like hey i want to read captain america and yeah, they open it up it's hail hydra what right my, you my, know my, yeah my middle not daughter that i'm crapping on that it's just an example where you can get thrown a boomerang yeah my, my, my middle daughter she's um she just turned 14 about you know a couple of years ago when the when the doctor strange movie came out she just fell in love with that movie yeah that you know like on a, a friday night and she just fell in love with it I want, and, and this is the first time I've got three kids. None of them give two shits about comics. Yeah. You know, that, that <laughs> they suck, you know. Uh, but she, she said, uh, I, I, I really, my, my oldest, who is an avid reader, she fell in love with Bone. So I, I have done something right. My kid loves Bone too, my oldest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a great book. But so my middle daughter, who's not an avid reader, and she said, I really love Doctor Strange. What are the best Doctor Strange comics? I was like, er. You know, so we went to the comic shop and I ended up, I think I got, uh, <laughs> I found uh, luck with that, man. Yeah, it's, there wasn't like it. It's not an easy in, right? No. Um, and but I I picked her up a couple of books, and she she read. I think I can't remember. Who, there was one that was more modern that she did like. I hadn't read it, but the, the guy at the comic shop recommended it. But so it's just really hard. So you know, like that's where the 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 comics have just been. The, the superhero comics are all over the place. Like you can go take them. Like I, I my son who's younger, um, I gave him some Jack Kirby comics you know, captain america stuff because he, he was enjoying that but like it just doesn't pop with him no and i, I mean yeah, i had yeah. a, it took me a long time to come around to like why kirby is amazing but like yeah, and yeah. i had this conversation on a stage at a con one time and i was so surprised to find out he had the same journey with cat with kirby that i did and that you know we both used to look at kirby and like kind of like turn our nose up at it because like oh, the hands are all wrong and you know what's with that weird leg and these faces are kind of like cold and I but then as I got older I started to appreciate oh my god like you know and somebody I think it was Mark Evaner I read a thing by him that said when you're looking at Kirby's world it's all Kirby like it's it's, it's yeah, the, yeah the chair is Kirby the gun is Kirby it's like there's nothing in it that looks like anything else because he was a true artist in that and then also he was shorthanding. He was an incredibly talented illustrator. If you look at his stuff that wasn't comics, he certainly could draw, but he found a way to shorthand it because he was putting out such an incredible amount of work. That, oh yeah, and, you know, and everything was, was done without reference. It was just right. like, this, this is how I can draw without reference 
as fast as possible. And he was <laughs> doing it, and, and he brought a dynamism that didn't exist before he did it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like like when you just did that thing with the hand, like, yeah, and that fist coming right in your face. That's a Kirby thing. And I really, uh, and so as I got to older and I started to understand one, his amazing life story and what he had sacrificed and done before he started drawing comics and the fact that he co-created Captain America, he didn't just draw him those things started to, you know, and I was really young, so it took me a long time to get around to understanding yeah. what that brilliance is, but that's one of those things where you see it through a different lens, and but it's hard to just give it to a kid who's used to seeing yeah. a Brian Hitch, for example, who I, whose work I absolutely love, um, but you, you show them Brian Hitch as Captain America, they're going to resonate with that almost immediately, because it's yeah. so oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it looks like it, been raised and it, yeah, it, 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 it looks like the Captain America they're seeing on the screen, but it's yeah. the same yeah. thing I think with us, like when I saw like the Batman TV show, it didn't look like the Dick Sprang artwork, you know? No, no, it didn't. Yeah. Um, well, I tell you, um, I think I think a, a great solution to a lot of this is what um, what Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, and uh, Kelly Pluckett did with the uh, with the Batman Adventures yeah. TV show and the corresponding comic. Yes. You really didn't need to know anything. And, and I think that that's kind of a little bit of a throwback to Stan. Yeah. Where like you can jump into any Stan, Stan Lee Batman. story, you know, and, and get it. You know, you don't have yeah. to know anything about Spider-Man to pick up a Stan Lee Spider-Man comic book, read it and enjoy it. And I think those guys did the same thing with the uh, with Batman the Batman Adventures. Series, that is the definitive Batman for if you want some if somebody's a batman fan you don't yeah. give them a comic book you really just give them that dvd set yeah it's true i was yeah. watching that last night <laughs> yeah and, oh and yeah, yeah. they're they talking about a reboot uh or a continuation on hbo max i'm like that All was right. really nice i sure yeah. did love yeah. those. especially if they get uh tim and dini involved yeah no i think they're they're, they're that's what the that's what i heard that's the rumor oh, i sure hope so and the, um, the um the coolest the coolest thing is when, when i was getting my dc um sort of comp copies and you know they're they're sending me like a couple of hundred books a month, and what I would do is in this is back in the uh, in the Gaijin days, I would go through pull out the Batman um, Adventures comics and just kind of look at the rest of the guys and go, hey, have what you want. These are the wow. only you know books that I'm going to read out of out of this stack. Um, and it's it, the cool thing about it is is I can read that book and I can enjoy that book, and I didn't have to try to do a recap in my head of the last thousand issues right. yeah. that Mark, were published. And that's yep. sort of the collision we got in like mid 2000s is then all of a sudden both companies seemed like they wanted to like reinvent the wheel with everybody. Like, so we got like how many different reboots of Superman did we get in that stretch of time? And then it felt like Marvel was doing that too. Like everything was a number one again and right. yeah. trying to bring in an audience to that, you know, so you didn't have to read uh, Wolverine 275. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, it, Mark Miller was doing the Superman adventures and yeah. those were better than the animated series. And that was like a definitive Superman. You know, like uh, it's 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 funny that you can, you know, you look at those guys like the Bruce Tim series. Uh, I mean, obviously my favorite probably ever is the year one Batman. Like I think that's- I love Batman year one, yeah. The Batman oh, yeah. Book. That's it. Uh, and yeah. the, the definitive Batman overall, it's like just sit down and watch a couple of seasons of the animated series and it's just perfect. Uh, and and I had a, a friend that was working, uh, he was Bruce Timm's assistant uh, back during the, the, the switch over to Batman Beyond. And he called me when that was going on and said, man, they have just 
like the the networks cartoon network or w what i I think maybe saturday morning cartoon i can't even remember uh at the time but he was like man we're not gonna keep we're not gonna be able to keep doing batman the animated series they're they're telling us that they want a young bruce wayne their demo saying (laughs) oh my god kid and we're just executives no best man i'm gonna get i'm like i'm gonna leave my job you know like this is gonna be dead in the water and then Bruce Tim came back with Batman Beyond. And so he calls me and he's like, hey, look, here's what we're about to do. He's like, what do you think? And I'm like, you know what? As much as I hate this, I'm like, I just fucking hate it. Uh, but it sounds cool as shit. And that <laughs> would be like, you know, but that's that's somebody that that took, you know, lemon and piss yeah. and <laughs> lemon ice cream. Like yeah. they did. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, that, and now that is the definitive, like, I can't wait. I, I, I literally, when I heard that, because I mean, all fanboys have been saying this. Michael Keaton comes back. Yeah. Batman Beyond live action. Like that. If, if they're not heading towards that, then just to hell with all of them. That's but just like, a great idea of how to bring Michael ba- Michael Keaton back into the franchise oh, yeah. Yeah. for us and then bring in a new Batman for the kids. You know, I like that yeah. a lot. Yeah. No, yeah, because the, that's what they, the, they grew up on. You know, and my son. Story, so that, the Return Beyond. of the Joker is like a Batman Beyond story and probably one of the best animated things they ever made. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one one of the coolest things is um. I kind of like this the Twilight version of you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the um one of the coolest things is when I was working at um at DC and I was working on a Batman book and and you know one cover assignment was finishing up, and they basically said, "Hey, what Batman book would you like to do covers for?" And I was just like, "Well, Batman Beyond." <laughs> you know, it's just like screw everything else you guys are publishing. <laughs> <laughs> give me batman beyond so um so I, that's that's how i got like uh hooked into doing batman beyond for um for for a while there I love those um, covers too now, now I, I did i did have a question for you um you know since you're doing a lot of your own stuff now you're kind of getting an opportunity to do like a lot more covers mm-hmm. um how, how does that feel i love doing covers i mean covers to me are um it's just sort of like a no-brainer. I love to do them. It's 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 sort of like the most, uh, as long as I don't have too much editorial direction that I can't break out of, I find myself like sort of like the high school kid in me, like drawing because yeah. I get to do the biggest flashy. And I also love uh, people that can tell a story with one image, like Frank Frazetta, Richard oh, Orvin, dude. You know, yeah. the, the, the great cover artists that could like try to capture what, I always try to get in and and read what the thing's about so whatever I do is either representative of a, a beat in the story or yeah. you know rather than just or or representational of the mood or the theme so I like to do that kind of brain work on it too and and hopefully you know help sell the comic because I used to buy covers just like if I didn't like the interior I might buy it just because I love the cover so much if it was a oh, Neil, Ad- Neil Adams cover for example you know Oh man, Neil Neil made me buy a lot of terrible books, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and I but I love like you know my favorite covers of his are probably those Green Arrow, Green Lantern covers yeah. where he would just oh, capture no. the whole thing in an image and like the two of them squaring off and yelling at each other or you know that famous one with where you find out Speedy's a junkie, you know like oh all yeah those, yeah and he did tones and all kinds of stuff that was ahead of his time. For, for those covers and so i yeah i, I love them i i have um i got i got some stuff coming up that i can't name because you know how it is um but i'm i'm doing that and i'm also writing uh, uh my own stuff this year so i got oh really out. yeah i'm pretty excited about it I, I can't i got to write conan the barbarian a little while back for dark horse yeah. and um I write and draw him 
and I really enjoyed that yeah. experience. So now you're going to be writing stuff for yourself or? No, for uh, one of them's for DC. Um, I'm writing and drawing something for DC and I got um, and another project that I, again, I can't say too much because I'm not supposed to. Now, now when, when, when you do that, are, are you finding like there's a difficulty to separate church and state? Yeah, <laughs> you know? very much so. Like, like, I, like trying to be a writer without yeah, you know, I, drawing it in your head. <laughs> you I, it's funny for me because I take it very seriously as two very separate jobs because I've worked with so many great writers that I know what excellence reads like. And I, yeah. so, you know, I try not to get uh, too consumed with imposter syndrome when I'm doing it because a lot of times it's like, if I have great writers to work with, why would I write my own stuff? But yeah, yeah, I love same here, man. But I started out as a writer artist because when I was doing Space Beaver, you know, like for me, it's in my bones and I do like to write. I, but I take it, but I learned to be a good writer um, rather than just being a, like, I don't try to cover it up with my artwork. I try to make sure there's a real story happening and that, yeah. I, and I know the structure of how a good story works. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm, you know, always succeed, but that's my goal. But same like with inking, I have to do it until I get better at it. But with uh, but it's funny because when I'm drawing my scripts, a lot of times I'll go, "What was that? what was I thinking?" Because <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll like I'll hate myself as a writer, like the way I'll get angry at writers I've worked with if they're asking for some impossible thing to draw. I'm like, "What was I? Why did I do this to myself?" Yeah. Well, I also notice that um, that as as artists, when when we decide to write something. We don't try to be a writer. We try to be the best writer that's ever written comics. Very much. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. like this. My Conan really story great. wasn't Watchmen, and I'm now I'm heartbroken. <laughs> <laughs> I had a Conan one shot, and I didn't redefine the character. How did? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but we just uh, and and I think we put too much pressure on ourselves as artists, anyways. But yeah. when we have to write, it's just like no, no, no. It's not. I'm going for Alan Moore level storytelling here. Right. And, you know, not everybody can be Alan Moore. So it's like, but Nobody then again, it just always Moore. comes back to just the same philosophy works, whether it's writing or cooking or whatever. It's like, all you can do is your best. And if you're doing your best and, you know, you keep at it, you're going to get a good result eventually, you know? That yeah. Kind of well, the, the weirdest, the weirdest thing that I find is, is um, like storytelling is, it's not something you do, it's something that happens. Yeah. And in as an artist, you have to set up the conditions that will make the storytelling happen. Yes. And I, and I think that that goes double for a writer for for you know because I, I think there's art and I think there's storytelling, which are two different things. And I think there's writing and there's storytelling, which is two different things. And I I think trying to set up the conditions to make storytelling happen is just really kind of a tricky thing. It really is. Um, I mean, it's like sort of like I'm filling in the blanks, but I think the same philosophy that grabbed me when I was 10 years old and stapling typing paper together and making my own comics because yeah. I just wanted to have a comic that I made in my hands so badly. Like the same philosophy goes into still like how I draw a comic, even if I'm working from a script or if I'm writing and drawing a comic, I just want to create something I'd want to pick up and read, you know? Yeah. And because I love comics, I know a good comic book story from a bad comic book story, you know, and I know a good movie from a bad movie. I know that plan nine <laughs> from outer space and Goodfellas are, you know, eons apart, 
even though they're both films, you know, so it's like the same yeah. thing when you come in and you're trying to just make, I just want, you know, you just want to make something good. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's always, there's always that, that to me, there's always that fear where I, I, I watch a terrible movie and I sometimes think, did those guys realize they were on the Titanic? Right. <laughs> That's exactly like, right. Sometimes I go, nobody sets out to make a terrible film. You know? yeah, like, That's why I don't ever saw the, uh, the room. Uh, or, or the, or the disaster artist. artist. Yeah. You ever seen a disaster artist? Like they did such a great job of like being in the midst of a terrible movie being made. And then lo and behold, it's this iconic thing now. But some because the artist himself, that 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 writer, that director, as crazy as he seemed, he really wanted to make a a movie. Like he did. Yeah. Like, it came from a pure place in him. So therefore, yeah. like, and you know, and then when everybody was laughing at it, you know, he he was crushed until his buddy who went through the journey with him, like said, those people are entertained. Like, yeah. yeah, isn't that why you did this? And so I, I kind of look back on Space Beaver with that same sort of like chagrin where I go, well, I really wanted Space Beaver to be something that would get me noticed at Marvel and DC. And it wasn't and never will be. But at the same oh, time, yeah. but at the same time, like um, I, I had to go back in 2000. I got somebody, uh, my friend Larry Young uh, published like the whole thing as two collections. I wanted him to make it one, but he insisted if I drew the last chapter, people would buy the second one. And I was right, he was wrong, but <laughs> didn't. And, but it was really fun because I actually went and revisited these characters and finished the story that I had sort of let dangle back in 1991. And it was 2000, so it was like nine years later, I have nine years of mainstream experience under my belt. Wow. And then I come back and I pencil and ink and I draw the final space beaver chapter and you can just see the leap in the in the yeah this has got to be like just skill. quantum leap <laughs> yeah it's, it's almost hilarious like you turn the page like whoa what's this and it was black and white you know just like i had started but what was funny is there's this really great poem by stephen crane that i ended up writing into the end of the story and it's it's short and it says and i'm going to paraphrase but it said um a man saw a ball of gold in the sky and he climbed for it but when he reached it it turned out to be clay but when he came back to earth he looked up and i he saw a ball of gold in truth it was a ball of gold wow wow that's really profound man yeah it's beautiful like you know, 1800 stephen crane you know like but that was but that's an example and so that's why i put it at the end of that thing because even though space beaver was a huge disappointment and a money loser and all these things for me it was my ball of gold in the sky and yeah. know, when I touched it and it turned out to be clay. If I hadn't gone on that journey, if I had not aspired to make it the best it could be, even though I was just, you know, flailing in the pool, um, I, I probably wouldn't be, there would be no boys. There would be no transmetropolitan. Yeah. yeah. It's all well, I'll tell you, the, the, the cool thing is, is um, as, as an artist who's always critical of their own stuff, which is not unique, I think, I think you should fear artists who are critical of their own stuff. I, said that, I just said that the other day. <laughs> and, yeah. But um. But one of one of the things that, that that I've 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 learned is that I'm personally under the impression that I'm working with a laser, but to the fans, I'm working with a shotgun. Interesting. You know, and and what ends up happening is is fans will reach out to me or. 
you know, hit me up at a convention and they're seeing stuff in the work that they feel is truthful, but I didn't put it there. Right. So yeah. I can't, I can't deny that it's there because they see the truth in it. Right. And, and it is unfair of me to try to take that away from them. Wow. Yeah. And it's better, it's better for me to sort of sit back and go, can you show me your vision? Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, can you, back. can you show me what I'm doing? You know? Yeah. Back in college, uh, I'm going to jump in real quick and I'll you guys back to it. But when I was in college, I was in a writing class and, uh, the, I, I, I like made the teacher mad because we were, we, I think we'd watch like apocalypse now or something, you know, so some great movie and, and, you know, she's like, well, you know, what's the meaning of this and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm like, you know what? There's one meaning to this is that's what the director, like his, his vision, that's what it means. Right. But on the flip side of that, what we all take away from it can mean a million different things. There's one meaning to his story for him, the guy that created it. And then there's the meaning that we all take away from it. This is completely different. This, we had this big argument about it. I, I don't re I just remember there was like, it was like, she got mad at me. <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> no, you're wrong. Like, blah, 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 blah. Like, no, but like there, there's the meaning it, in my opinion, that, like what brought, when, when you were, uh, you know, Brian and Derek, when you guys, when you draw something, it means what you want it to mean. Like, that's what it means. But what you take away from it, that's on you. And that's when things like that, that's on, excuse me, that's on the reader. And, and you yeah. can never take the, the person's experience from that. It's not what you, maybe what you meant it to be. Cause like, and there's been times where like even the books that, you know, that we put out through 12 gauge that we've got some feedback or whatever. And you look at it and like, how did you take that away from what we did? <laughs> not, that was not at all it, but you have to understand that once you throw it out into the world, you have no control of it anymore. Right. And that's what yeah. makes it great. And that's what, you know, like the, the greatest comics in the world, the greatest TV shows or movies in the world, their books, these things, like they, when you put them out there, it just becomes something else. And you have no yeah. control of it anymore. That's, 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 what, what I mean, that's why Brian's comment compliments to me earlier. That's why it meant so very much to me. Because knowing that Brian sees that in my work, uh, that's, that's just huge for me because Brian's somebody I really admire. Uh, and whose work I've always loved. And so I know it, it comes with a critical eye, whether he wants it to or not. And so if I've managed to reach Brian and have him go, yeah, this is good stuff. Wow, that's huge. But at the same time, like, again, I'm just trying to draw that comic book or write that comic book that I'd want to read as a fan. Yeah. And so, and there is a point that in my uh, busiest days at Marvel and DC, I had to learn good enough has to be because I was more yeah. important to me to meet the deadline. And I found, and my philosophy ended up boiling down to, I make three people happy with the project. I make the writer happy. If I'm working with the writer, I make the editor happy who's editing the project. So his job is as easy as possible. And then me. And if yeah. those wow. three people are happy with the work, that's all I can do. Then I let it go. Yeah. And I don't read, that's... I try not to read reviews. I try not to go back and, and pour over old stuff. I just keep swimming forward with that philosophy in mind because that's it. That's all I can really do. Someone's going to hate it. I know there's people out there that pick up my stuff and go, this is garbage. It's too <laughs> violent. What's that? <laughs> 
the ones that say he's no Zack Snyder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there are people that out there that I'm sure can't stand my stuff and that's fine. I don't expect any, I, and like Brian was saying, if everybody did like my stuff, I'd be a little worried. You know, because yeah. I think I, was, I must be doing something wrong if I've managed to be, you know, like a Disney cartoon that everybody can get in and go, oh, that's lovely. Exactly. But yeah, so we talk sweet. about that all the time. It's like, we want people to hate our stuff. Yeah, like we well, want, I mean. We want you to be passionately. We want to, we obviously, we want the most majority <laughs> of people to love it. But you want a segment of people that are mad at you for what you've done. Because that means <laughs> you got Adam Ant's friend or foe rolling in my head with that. <laughs> I want those who get to know me, be my friend or be my enemy. <laughs> Derek, can I fanboy for you for a second? Because I talked with yeah, Greg please. Rucka about this when you guys did Wolverine. Oh, Rucka was so much fun to work with. But like, I remember people getting pissed that yes. uh, Wolverine was not this felt young supermodel. Yeah, and he was brutish. I just, I loved it. He lived in this Thank like you. shitty apartment. Thank you for being on Team Brute. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what made me crazy about that time, I have I have a lot to say about that. Like, like what made me crazy about that time, because this was like pre-Twitter, so I was on forums and stuff, and I'd get into arguments with fans that, like, the book had sold incredibly well and it was mostly well-received, but I had this handful of fans that, like, could not stand the fact that I was making Wolverine five foot three. And... Mm. Then they wanted to tell me how big a fan of Wolverine they were. And I finally had to just throw down with one guy and say, look, I get it. You love the character too. I was 12 when I discovered this character. I worked and worked and worked until I got good enough that they assigned me a reboot of Wolverine number one. <laughs> I win. I'm the biggest <laughs> fan. It's I like, said, I, win. I, I know everything I win. about Wolverine. I know. And then also I put a lot of time thinking about why does he stand this way? He's got adamantium bones. Have you ever walked around with dumbbells in your hand? That's what he feels like all the time. Oh, he's, got, he's got two bowling balls in his hands all the time and he can't put down. And he's old. He's an old fucking guy. What's he do for fun? He goes and he gets drunks and he gets into fights when he's not taking on Juggernaut and the Hulk. That's what he does in his downtime. He gets in bar fights and he smokes and he drinks and he's in constant pain. And he would be the crankiest guy to be around. And he's and who's he hanging out with? Who are his friends? Who are his love interests? People that are like a decade or a century younger than him, you know? Yeah. So, you know what? He can't even relate to them on, on a personal level. But, but the magic of Wolverine is that even with all that, he looks pretty good for an old dude with metal bones. <laughs> And his healing factor, and I always thought like, okay, if he got into a, a, you look at a boxer, you know, who's had a long career, like, yeah, they get the shit beat out of him, and then their faces heal, but they never quite heal. Like, oh, they, yeah. like <laughs> other than Muhammad Ali, who's the only guy that like just looked as beautiful when he died, look, look as gone and retired and handsome. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but all the other guys, like you know, they get their their punch, uh, their what's it was it punch drunk and pug ugly. Yeah. Oh yeah, called. yeah, yeah. They yeah. they definitely look like a half chewed malukas. They call them malukas, <laughs> yeah, but they cauliflower ears and stuff like that. But it's like those guys' faces they healed, but they didn't heal just right. And I imagine Wolverine would be the same thing. The fact that he survives these things and then gets back up the next day because his healing factor kicks in doesn't mean he's going to look good 
And especially yeah. when oh, he doesn't yeah. take any, and when his, the body is, his liver's working overtime, his lungs are working overtime just to fight off the nicotine and the alcohol, you know, <laughs> like that to me, that's how I saw Wolverine. And so I wanted to bring, and also I hated the idea that Wolverine would like sit in a mirror and like, get that. <laughs> get it just right. right. That's a blow dryer out like John Travolta and Saturday Night Fever, just getting that getting that quaff just so it looks just uh, like his mask let's remember the mask off but i so like wolverine i thought like but his hair would just grow like crazy i did a, an issue with uh, dan chichester way back in the beginning of my career and dan wanted him to go into this lumber like this uh kind of militia yum lumber mutant uh thing up in the hills where they were kidnapped i think they were kidnapping people but um the whole point was like he was going to have Wolverine go undercover by growing a big beard and his hair long and I'm like oh no no let's do the opposite and so there's a cover that I have out there where he kind of looks like the Terminator and I because I said to Dan like how about he goes into a restroom he had Jubilee with him as a sidekick in those days and so like, he pops a claw and just shaves it all off just claws off his hair so because nobody would recognize him without that do and those side oh beard. man you know that's, that's a awesome. better disguise for Wolverine and so and Dan was down with it so we did that and and by the end of it, though, I had it growing out like he was already getting spiky hair because it, like anything in his healing factor, his hair would grow back kind of fast. And so I kind yeah. of treated our Wolverine and with Rocco like that, where it's not that he wants those cowlicks. They just sort of grow like that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like I am that, so happy I brought neutral. that up. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, I was so passionate about it, but it was ultimately the, the irony is like I they kind of took me away from the book because the other side of that argument won because of who was kind of in charge at Marvel at that time where they were like, it's not they didn't want my version per se, but they wanted uh, they wanted everybody to work Hugh on Jackman. the model. So and yeah. Hugh Jackman became the model and Hugh Jackman did a magnificent job well, and, look, for the was... win. I have a fun little antidote. I actually uh, my wife tells me one day a while back um hey there's a director buying your original art because she sells my original art uh which you can go get on amazon uh, derekrobertson.com plug um but, uh, <laughs> she sells my original art she goes there's this movie director and he's buying your artwork and i'm like oh really who she says uh, his name is uh, james mangold and i went no way he's doing the new wolverine movie and so we had a little bit of an exchange and i just said you know why and they go oh because your vision of wolverine is what we're going for and then nice. Hugh Jackman. And I just, so I just wrote, I said, I just need to know one thing. If Hugh could be five foot three, because he's an incredible Wolverine. He's absolutely magnificent as the character, but he's like a foot taller than the character should be. I go, if he could make himself short like that, do you think he would? And he goes, well, when you see the new movie, you'll see that he's been working out like crazy to make himself more broad because he is trying to capture that aspect. Oh, wow. So I was like, all right, I win. You did, yeah. you know, you I win. They a, actually looked at my stuff and put it in the movie. You took a guy who was doing show tunes, and by the Logan movie, he was your Wolverine, and that is, yeah. for my dollar, one of the best, if not, if not the best superhero movies ever. Uh, Logan is, yeah. and that's yeah. a great I mean, example because that's the uphill battle. This brings it all back to like where I was talking about the boys and Transmat and that Comics Code Authority because we had an uphill battle when we were working on Wolverine in that they wouldn't let us show blood at the time and they didn't. Oh, I, wow. I somebody's hand really? coming off in a silhouette, tiny in a background, but Wolverine was taking on these uh, militia guys that had, uh, you know, weapons and he's like cutting off hands so they can't shoot guns at him and they're like, oh no, we can't have that. We got to take the hands out. And are I you kidding? 
kidding I, me? No. And then I would be gone. Uh, and then I said, how about if we do a title then? Because I have been, I had a real lot of success with the Max titles with Fury Max and Punisher Born. And I said, well, why don't we just do a Logan Max? And we don't call it Wolverine. We just call it Logan. And we never put the claws on the cover. So it's just for the fans that know who Logan is. So they don't oh, nice. with the movie or the cartoon. And they were like, no, no, that'll never work. And what happened? Like a few years after I'm gone off the character, Old Man Logan, Old it's Man a max Logan. title, big hit, inspired the movie. There you go. John, wow. wasn't that one of your, like, the, the Rucka uh, Derek run, wasn't that one of your like initial runs into comics? Yeah, oh, no, absolutely. He takes well on a cult. Career. Oh, wait, yeah. I'm sorry. Were you asking me? No, no, like Sean, I remember. Oh, Sean, I'm sorry. Had, I thought you were asking me if that was my yeah, we, thing. And we I'm had sorry. Rucka on the show a few months ago. Oh, and so I remember funny. Sean bringing this up because we all, well, it's not we. I make fun of him because I'm jealous of him being young and beautiful. And <laughs> dead, I will and never I'm, be as beautiful as you, Kevin. So, uh, so it cracks me up that he like, oh, I yeah, my first Wolverine was your Greg Rucka, you know, Derek Roberts. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, like I was had kids at that point. <laughs> I could have just been born. Yeah. But dude, I, I gotta tell you, man, the the greatest scene in my head is is you staring down fans you know, in a Wolverine argument like you're Brock Samson going, take it from me. <laughs> It's like I did a whole. They had me do a thing at San Diego Comic Con about body language, like a like a educational thing to an audience. And I was like up there, like hunching over the way I, you know, like you would if you were Wolverine, or you know, the way like you got to remember, like Conan's sword has weight. You know, it, it, it's it's important when you're doing that stuff. I get too into it, and that it, it's been the bane of my existence because I also become kind of persnickety and a perfectionist in a way that doesn't always reflect in my work, but it certainly reflects in my attitude, and. Uh, I, but, but to me, it's like, what's the point if, if yeah. I'm going to abandon all of that love for these characters, I used to get, you know, being hanging out with a lot of the British guys, they'd poke fun at me for being such a fanboy, but I'm like, no, you're fanboys too. You just have a different category of where you, yeah, go. yeah, exactly. But if you're exactly. going to take this from me, it's like, you know, why, why work in comics? I should go work in some other, I could go work in advertising, which I have. It's, but yeah. it's not the same thing. Like a, the little boy in me doesn't get super excited when I'm doing storyboards for sausages, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. way that, you know, but if you call me up and go, Hey, we want you to draw a cover with the justice league on it. I'm like, yes. You know, yeah. I love but that. The cool, but the I cool thing is, is you, you've characters. made it. Yeah. You, you've actually made it real in your head oh my god if you see and, my and that's what that's what you have to do you you if have I ever, to oh, i'm sorry yeah you have to make you have to make it real in your head in order to be to be able to tell the truth on the page right absolutely and if i ever have a chance to sit down with you and i hope we get that world again because uh, i gotta buy you drinks um but we i'd love to show you some of my old sketchbooks from high school because oh, dude i'd love to see they're it. just lousy with wolverine and nightcrawler and x-men but i was drawing these because i was reading them passionately like paul smith and uh and john ramita jr and, and 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 then i saw jim lee come on he was doing alpha flight when i first met jim and i was a big alpha flight fan because that was where he got his break and i remember going up to him like they should put you on x-men and man was i right because <laughs> they would and I was right. So, but he, um, but I used to just fill up my sketchbooks because I would draw these characters not like I wanted to be the artist on them. I just wanted to interact with them, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Like I yeah. wanted them to be my friends 
and I didn't know how to get any closer to them than like learning who they were and drawing and creating them because in my mind, I would I would love it. I got I, there's a picture out of there of me out there that I uh, I put on Twitter a few times. But I was Nightcrawler for Halloween when I was 14. I built. Oh wow! <laughs> I got little I got little screens and made yellow eyes and everything. So and it's not a bad costume for a 14 year old, but. Um, but that's how passionately I love those characters. Oh yeah, I was, yeah. I was cosplaying when it was just called Halloween costumes, you know. <laughs> so, but yeah. that 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 world was so alive for me that I eventually got to do a Nightcrawler series. I did a Wolverine series. Like having reached those plateaus already in my life, and I'm still relatively, you know, I, so I hope I got some good years ahead of me. But that's what kind of pushed me into going. Okay, I've done that. Now it's time to either. I want to make a Wolverine. I want to create a. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to just ride on the. I don't want to stand on the shoulders of giants my whole life. I want to try to bring something that doesn't exist to the world of comics. So I'm really grateful that you know Transmet spoke to you, and I'm really grateful that the boys didn't just get on TV, but it's a big hit. You know, it's like yeah, that's crazy for me because my stuff is now in the zeitgeist in a way that I have no control over, but people come up and show me spider Jerusalem tattoos, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, like that and blows the, the, my mind. Well, the, thing, the thing that kills me is, uh, is, is these, these little things, you know, like, um, the way that you draw, um, Homelander, he doesn't slouch. No, never. you know, he's, it's, 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 it's as if he's on camera all the time. No, he's yeah, just and, not even in his in his makeup. It's just like yeah. So so there's a, there's a certain there's a certain you know sort of look to that. But at the same time, the way that you draw a butcher, he's always he's never standing straight up. He's always kind of got like a little bit of a slouch, a little bit of there's there's discomfort in him at all times. And I, uh, and I think butcher's a guy that's ready to take a punch at you at any moment. Yeah, yeah, so and then he's kind and, of in a defensive crowd. Yeah, and there's 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 a thing there's a thing about that. There's um there's storytelling before you get to the storytelling. Oh. You know, like like there's there's way too many times where like you're you're in a bar and you see someone and you just looking at them, you're like, whoa, I need to get out of this room <laughs> because that guy is dangerous you know? and yeah and there's something about the body language there's something about the set there's something about that that gives off that story instantly and the the guy doesn't have to move doesn't have to make eye contact with you and you already feel it so it's the storytelling before you get to the storytelling and i think you're you're great at uh, at laying that uh, laying that down so okay. when you when you talk about like you know sort of Oh, it's Wolverine. I got to take into consideration all these things, and uh, and every time before I end up drawing a book, I will spend weeks just figuring out how the character sits down, how the character stands, what are you know sort of little sort of quirks that the character has. You know, I mean, what do they do with their hands when they're not busy? You know, it's like little things like that. You, you know who the character is before the character does anything. That makes a huge difference. I think that those, the, those kind of details are what makes comics, that's what makes comics immersive. I think that's something that we sort of lost in the, what happened as they became more commercial 
that's a yeah. bad, bad word for it because they've always been commercial. But I think if you know what I mean, where there was a time when we were coming up that, you know, it was like these gang of guys, writers and artists and editors that they sort of, they encapsulated, they, they represented the, the companies in a way that you knew you were going yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was, it was, it was drawing iconography. And it was, you know. a certain product would come from certain artists and writers together in a way that I think we've lost a little bit because now it's more about just getting the book out there. It feels, it feels like to me, I don't, I can't remember a classic run on either of the major characters that was quite up to like a Batman year one in recent yeah. years. but I don't read as often as I, I don't keep up like I used to either. So that's, that's on me. Uh, Cause there may have happened and I may have missed it, but um, that, and also nostalgia is going to taint everything for me, but I have, this belief that you know if you have the right um if the right people with the right character that's almost like magic in a bottle sometimes it happens oh yeah yeah it and i don't even know like kind of like making the bad movie i remember walking around with dave gibbons uh one day and uh, we were out, out on an island uh with a whole bunch of dylan was there a whole bunch of uh, the art of the english guys were there and we were walking around on an island and I, and it's the first time I really got to hang out with Dave Gibbons and he's a really wonderful person, very funny. And I said, Oh yeah, yeah, he is. He's got a really, really sharp wit. But I asked Dave, like, I'm like, Hey, so when you were finishing up Watchmen, I'm like, did you know what you had? I mean, did you know you were creating this thing? And he's like, no, he goes, I, I the furthest from the truth. I just knew I was really fucking late on the last issue. And I had, oh, wow. I had worked my ass off and I was just watching the clock for the post on the last pages. I finally got the ink on them. It was barely dry. I got them into the my the package and I rushed it down to the post and they were just about to close and all I cared about is like I knew I had to get them my editor was just dying to get them and they had to go out a certain time on a certain day or because it took a while from England to get over to New York and so he goes and then I was walking back home from the post office and it wasn't then until it, it even hit me that it was done and I was wow. like, wow, you know, like that's a perfect example of our lives, you know, where you you just you're so caught up in the middle of it you almost hope it's good when you're done. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's the 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 funniest thing is is and and I don't know if you ever experienced this, but but it it takes for me almost a year to be able to like look at something. Yeah, you I know, don't... <laughs> it's it's I like the printing out when it comes, and then I put it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But but I put it away for uh, for a year yeah. and. And a year later, I, I forget like the details of working on it. Yeah. And and now I can experience it as a product. Right. Yeah. In and of me, itself. You know? I also like I kind of for me it's like looking back at old work, it's almost like looking at a diary sometimes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can remember like, oh, what was going on in my life outside of my job that day that influenced why that page took longer or what I, you know, or, or maybe a page that I remember starting this one and then getting angry at it and starting it over from scratch. And I'll find that in a drawer sometime, like an original layout that obviously wasn't working and I'm glad I let it go. Yeah. You know, so oh, it's yeah, great. yeah. Well, I think yeah. you know, going back to, to what you were saying about the books that we grew up on, the guys that are in their, you know, late forties and early fifties or sixties, whatever. When, you know, Jim Aparo was drawing Batman or Neil Adams was, was, was drawing Batman. Like it, it felt like in those days that, 
they were just trying to make fun comic books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and the, the, yeah. the group of guys that, you know, with the, you know, Denny O'Neill and, and, and the, you know, Stan Lee, whatever, like these guys were just, let's make fun books that we all like and that we think will appeal to, to you know, to kids. But if we all like them and they're fun to us, like we see the cool moments, that's what matters. And now like the superhero books are 100% corporate editorial driven. You have a corporate yeah. mandate, have an editorial mandate Edit editors are guys that you know for the most part uh i know i'm painting with a broad brush here but you know, a lot of guys that want to be comic book writers or want to be comic book artists and weren't good enough so they they're editors and they edit the shit out of the books and they make it to where you know like they squeeze the life out of them uh that's my opinion but you got books like the boys which started if i'm not mistaken as a dc book right like it was a I'll part of the so what but it, DC and Wildstorm? And it did, but it was under the dc umbrella at that right time. so it was DC, so that's corporate driven and they 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 said oh no yeah no, no, no. They were really, I, I want to i want to clarify because the story comes up a lot now with the tv show but i just want to clarify like dc was really great to us and how they handled it like they didn't burn us they didn't do anything to like uh undermine us they just felt that it was too extreme for their extreme their right life. And, they yes. and it was. That's the corporate mandate, and they did the right thing. They gave you your book back. Right. They did, and they were really gracious about it. And they kept. Yeah, me, and I'm not I was under a social contract, and they didn't cancel my contract. I ended up giving. They kept giving me work, even though, I, and, and permission to take my book and do it somewhere else. But the uh, the irony is, like, if you look at the boys number one in the print edition. Uh, there is the original floppy it's like you'll see like there's you know butcher having grudge sex with rainer and homelander exposing himself to starlight and then an ad for justice league and then the <laughs> floating head and then like oh batman number five is out this week so it was like side by side with their classic characters because they were advertising within the books at that time for their other titles and they just it was just oil and water and it yeah, really came just, from people above editorial but over at wildstorming they were happiest yeah, yeah, that's what i'm talking about the corporate and comics Dumbier and ben abernathy they all championed the book and we're super happy it was performing and and we we went in with eyes open we told them what we were gonna do it just something didn't get to the top of the ladder yeah, top of the chain You're right so uh, yeah and, and they weren't making books for you know warner brothers you know in the 70s right, right? like that was well, not was supposed to be like an image company and independent in that regard but they had once uh, jim had sold them to dc it slowly got absorbed Right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, the, the whole point being that, like, you know, you guys, it, 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 you had to go to a, an indie publisher to actually get your vision out there. Yeah. We're in a completely different world now. You yeah, know, and what we grew up on with with the, you know, we had the Super Friends cartoons. We had, <laughs> you know, Neil Adams uh, doing some really cool shit in the 70s that sort of elevated that up to where, like, Batman was was edgy yep, all yep. the way up to the Frank Miller in year one. You, you can't really get that anymore uh it's just a different it's a different right. world. We, we can but, never go back to eden i mean we we right we, yeah. we've lost our innocence with these but characters. what what we can do and what you did with the boys you know what 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 you guys pulled off uh with you know with dynamite bring that in and saying go crazy um you know that's that's where that's the next evolution and that's what we're seeing right now like that's where we're at that's where like with brian and doug doing you know thomas river you know, their creator own book that, that, you know, that we just put out that's unfiltered their stuff. Like we're not sending that through a focus group, you know, we're not bouncing that off of anybody else other than it makes Doug and Brian happy. They love it. And I hope you like it too. 
And I think that's what, you know, that's, that's the goal, right? That's what you guys did with the boys. I think it's fair though, with like, you know, I, I, while I wasn't happy with the way things ended up going with Wolverine, when I was, I had this vision for it and I felt like it was my turn and it was like, kind of bummed me out because like, there's so many artists that could take it. They had their own take on Wolverine. You look at Barry Windsor Smith's Wolverine compared to Sam Keith's Wolverine to Frank Miller's Wolverine to John Burns Wolverine. You got four different kind of looking Wolverines there and all of them brilliant in their own regard because it was an artist interpreting the character through their style. Exactly. So I felt like that was my turn. And then somebody was telling me I couldn't do it in my style. And, uh, you know, like I wasn't, but somehow it was like, I was doing it wrong, even though, hey, Marvel Handbook still says he's 5'3", guys. Well, yeah, you were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. You, know, you were doing the right good. book. It was just but, the wrong time. Right. But here's the yeah. thing. It was also a wake up call to me because I had to remember as much as it hurt, because as I was saying before, these guys are my friends. I they, they lived in my mind for a long time. So I had to remember they're not mine. I don't own yeah. them. Yeah. I don't own Wolverine. I don't own Batman. All these characters, they are theirs and they have the right to tell their artists, their writers, this is what we want. It's their thing. So the thing, the solution to that is like Brian is doing and like what I've done, go off and create something original. You don't know if you got the next Wolverine in you, in your brain. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Writing and drawing, you know? Yeah, and it's 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 really kind of, um, I, I think, telling that on the occasion where the inmates were in control of the asylum, <laughs> those are the best comics Absolutely. being produced. You know, when, when you had uh, Giordano, you know, sort of running DC, you know, when you had uh, Tassana, you know, sort of running Marvel and Archie Goodwin. I mean, these were, these were the inmates. I mean, yeah. these guys were the creative folks. And the, but because um, they were creators themselves. I mean, like, the fact yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting in that the the big evolution of of, of the whole thing and, and and the journey that we all have kind of like gone through of you know like you said getting to that point where you kind of go okay yeah I love them and I respect these characters but they're not mine right you know so ultimately what I'm going to do is I'm going to go off and and do my own thing I'm going to go off and I'm going to do a a, a book that I want to do unapologetically and I don't have to say yeah I would have been able to do that but the editor said yeah. uh, and and I think the uh, the, the stuff that you're doing you know and, and it's it's kind of interesting because the stuff that you've done for the mainstream guys I love that stuff I mean you're one of the one of the cool brackish guys that can that can swim in you know sort of um, salt water and swim in fresh water um, with uh, with like doing stuff for for the big two, but your stuff also has this really cool independent you know sort of comic look to it, um, and um, but I gotta say the stuff that you're doing independently, I probably like it more because I can feel that there's more of your soul in it. Yeah, thanks. Well, you know, as I, I, I don't, you know, with the less interference, the purer the soul, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I again, I still love these characters. I, I'm like staring at Wolverine right now. <laughs> <laughs> dude, dude, I will I will never let go of uh, of Wolverine. I will never let go of Batman. I will never no, let go. They're all around there's, me. There's a I've got a Flash story, man. Oh, 
Ah, and I would love. I knew. <laughs> and that's, that's that's what I want. I just want to be able to go play with those toys again. And you know, writing my own stuff. Like maybe I'll get to. I, I you know, but I love. You know, Mark Wade probably has written in all the superheroes he wants to write for now. But at the same time, like that was one of my highlight experiences. It's just yeah, it, it's, we killed Elongated Man together. I the first story. He ever wrote for me was uh, that I drew was a flash story and we did a, a Justice League thing together years ago but like you could feel the people that know and love these characters and if you're coming from that place and you don't get too much interference if you're staying in the canon you know magic happens but I know oh, yeah yeah it's hard when you know uh, forces bigger than you are telling you what your marching orders are I mean the, the, to me the coolest thing you're, you're a music guy um, yeah. so it's like the difference between creating a song and doing an arrangement for a song. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just like if, if you've got like a guitar and you're sitting down and you're thinking twinkle, twinkle, little star, you can just flex with that. You can just go you know, sort of with it because you're not creating it. Right. You're just, you're just, you know, sort of arranging it. And, yeah, like uh, and what, I think. What, what would Moby do with twinkle, twinkle? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know? And I think, I, I, I think that's, that's our love for, um, for, for Wolverine, for Batman, for Superman is you're taking something that already has familiarity and you're just kind of bending it. You're just kind of, you know, going, going full Moby on it and, uh, and just kind of having a good time with it. I'm just, yeah. I'm just a big geek that got to do what he wanted to do for a living. That's all it comes down to. I just love those, my love for that. I mean, that's one of the reasons I surround myself with action figures is that I always like to look up and get that little, like just blow on those embers. Cause I never want to lose my love for this. If I lose my love for this, you know, I, it, it like Sting says, if I ever lose my faith in you, you know, that's how I feel about these characters. Like no matter what, but I still want to like get excited that I'm drawing, you know, somebody that I grew up playing with action figures of. I want to feel that like, holy shit, I'm the guy. I'm somebody's. Yeah. I'm somebody's guy. The fact, like you were saying with Sean, read my Wolverine. I'm Sean's Wolverine guy. John yeah. <laughs> Byrne was my Wolverine guy. Now I'm Sean's. You know, yeah. that's kind of yeah. cool to be somebody's Wolverine guy. <laughs> well, well, dude, dude, I can't think of a better place. To wrap this up man oh, yeah. i mean that is that is that i think that encapsulates uh kind of kind of the whole thing dude and uh right, I, man I, I, what a what a wonderful conversation thank you for all the kind words and i oh let's a, let's do it in person the next time man talk to you honestly it's an honor so like to know that you respect and see my work the way you do it, i can't i'm going to trip out after i get off camera and just whoa <laughs> it's like thank you that really means the world to me your, your insights and observations uh, dude, I'm on you, man. I'm totally, I'm, I'm totally on you. I hope it puts a little bit more pressure on you, noting noting that I'm just over your shoulder going, don't fuck this up, Derek. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you and the whole world. <laughs> no, no much more than my bank account. <laughs> totally cool, man. All right. Well, it was uh, a lot of fun, man. And, yeah. uh, and definitely, you know, so we'll have to we'll have to do this in person. The uh, the first opportunity we get. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and at some point, and like maybe it's going to be 2022 or 2023. But like, I can't wait to like I, I I'd grown to where I didn't love cons all that much. <laughs> but man, like I cannot wait for the first like live shot by shot where we go to a convention and we get like two or three creators and we're oh, doing this like live somewhere. On nah, the dude. Yeah. Count me in, yeah. count me in. It's <laughs> and, you know. Uh, there will be alcohol, there will be flasks, even if- Definitely. Yes. 
Yeah. I was gonna say if we're gonna keep talking, I'm gonna like excuse myself and go get a drink because it's after five or six. Yeah. I was gonna. I was working when we started this thing. I thought I was gonna be back to it. Yeah, we didn't yeah, mean well, to keep it this long. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm on the most right coast, so uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a night uh, myself. But uh, but dude, and haven't seen you in forever. But man, it's 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 good seeing you. you and dude, I am like you deserve all the success you have man you absolutely deserve it uh you're you're like one of the hardest working guys i know and uh and one of the most creative guys i know and yeah. those don't usually hang out together well that's like i said you're one of my heroes so that means a lot to me thank you i'm <laughs> not gonna appreciate get it man. i promise i'm not gonna get emotional <laughs> <laughs> definitely have to catch you guys a little bit later on, man. All right, bro. Thanks, Kev. Right, Great night, everybody. Everybody, thank you so very much for tuning in. That was the magnificent Derek Robertson. You can buy his various books, including Space Bastards, Oliver, The Boys, and Beyond at your local comic book store or any online portal that sells comics. Anytime Derek wants to come back, uh, I'll take a night off and you maybe could too, Sean, and we'll let him and Brian do I'll also again. have to be running the audio, but yeah. I mean, that, that, that tends to be the case. No, and uh, as the producer of this podcast, we're going through a few changes in the near future, a slight rebranding as it were, but this will always be a podcast devoted to the art of sequential storytelling. And we have some really, really fucking cool guests coming up. Part of my language. <laughs> well, you can cuss. It's your podcast. <laughs> it's your podcast, Kevin. <laughs> If you foot the bill, it is your call. It is your it's podcast. Brian's podcast. Let's not joke about it. it, it yeah, it, 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 yeah it I would say his his audio DNA is just all over this thing. Um, oh, what a description! But anyway, we do have some great guests coming up. We won't spoil them quite yet, but you'll be hearing from us very soon. And without further ado, thank you so much. See you soon.